0: Welcome to the Irrational Discourse Podcast. Fair warning, the topics we discuss may be sensitive subjects for some listeners. Since we try to look at each subject from different perspectives, the views expressed during each episode will, at times, invariably differ from our own. Our intent is not to change what you believe, only to influence how you think. And looking at something from a completely different perspective is one way of doing just that. If we want to live in a prosperous and harmonious society, we believe that it's important to be able to openly, rationally, and non-judgmentally discuss our differences. All we need is a little love, mutual respect, and an open mind to get us through. With that, let's begin. Welcome to the Irrational Discourse Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, uh, Chris. Hey, hey, Doug. Hey, how you doing?
1: Oh, fantastic.
0: And I am Doug Sherman. And one of the things that we wanted to talk about that, that you and I enjoy talking about are often kind of, I won't say taboo, sometimes it gets into the realm of the taboo, but... You know, more controversial or sensitive topics, mm-hmm. I guess, is the yeah. way to put well, it. And existential
1: things, you know, things outside of ourselves.
0: Yeah, the waxing philosophical and yeah, getting into um, oh, if I was into mushrooms, that would be the kind of conversation to have. Yeah, I'd... yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but our goal on this podcast is, uh, you know, again, we're we call it irrational discourse, and it, this kind of stems from. A book I had started to write at one point, and I, I had titled it Rational Discourse, and realized that the entire book was dedicated to topics that were should be rational, but often went deep into the irrational oh, discussion sure. when you're talking with another human being. Sometimes,
1: yeah. I think... Uh you know, it, the, the, the word is triggered, right? You know, people can get triggered uh, by certain things that may clash with their identities and they get really passionate and heated and defend it uh, with their entire being. <laughs>
0: I... Yes, and <laughs> one of the things that you and I both enjoy doing is is talking about these topics with other people, but in a especially if their their belief system or their opinions contradict our own, and doing so in a rational, logical, reasonable, non-judgmental manner and having fun with it.
1: Yeah, I, I like knowing how people tick, you know, and maybe I
0: can find ways to encourage their growth. <laughs> we have one life, and we we should enjoy it. And we think, I think, from our conversations, I fully believe that you think is the only way we're really going to be able to progress as a species is to be able to sit down and rationally and logically and non-judgmentally discuss our differences. And
1: yeah, kind of like I mean, we're 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 sharing, you know, right? Like sharing things we've heard, sharing information, and sometimes we're full of shit, and that's perfectly Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. Oh my God! I mean,
0: I'm an artist. I pull shit out of my ass all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't get emotional about finding that I'm full of shit. It's it's a learning process and and that's what we want to do. So, while I give a warning at the beginning of every podcast that our podcast isn't necessarily for people who are more sensitive and defensive in nature, but even so, we want people to have an open mind. We don't want to change what people think. We do want to influence how you think so that you can go out look at contradictory evidence, look at something from somebody else's perspective and maybe open up your own mind. I have done a good two dozen times in my life realize that I was wrong. Oh, yeah, epiphanic moments like that can be very
1: profound and and so freeing. It, you know, like like oh, wow, you know, like when like a dawning in the mind.
0: Yeah, I've told James, you know, I'm human, and well, sorry, James is the the mystery guest who's not here today, and we'll get into that. But yeah, he's a guest we periodically have on the program. Um, and, yeah, and I've told him I go through, I'm a fallible human. I go through the exact same response that every human goes through when I receive information that contradicts a long-held belief, and it's usually my First response that my brain jumps into, even before I've had a chance to think of it, is rejection and denial. Hmm. It's something that it's like, no, that's not true because I already know what's true. Oh, yeah. But there's usually a slow turning of I end up ruminating on it for some period of time, some faster than others, thinking about it, digging around, looking for evidence that contradicts my own beliefs. And if at the end I realize that the information is stronger than the evidence I've held to justify my own beliefs, I've changed my mind and there's always a little bit of a dopamine rush when that happens. Mm, interesting.
1: Like, where do you think beliefs come from? You know, why do people believe what we believe, you know?
0: So I think most of our beliefs, most of our core beliefs, my opinion is that they come probably before we're the age of 9 or 10. They come from our, our parents. They come from our Uncle Kevin, they come from our grandparents, they come from our friends and our friends of our friends and the social network that we have, but especially our parents. There was a a great book by, I I can't remember his name right now, he was was a German author and he was a psychologist and the book was called We Fucked Them Up. Oh no. And it basically went into how parents raising children and embedding core beliefs into them when they're very young, before their frontal cortex is developed and can able, it has the ability to engage in critical thinking and rationally go through the, the deductive reasoning exercise and determine what's right and wrong on their own. I, most of us remember when we we're five, six, seven, eight years old, if our parents told us something was true, it was true. Oh, sure. Yeah. And if our grandparents reaffirmed that truth, And our cousins and our aunts and uncles and our friends reaffirmed that truth in our own little echo chamber. Yeah. Those became core beliefs. And if somebody challenged that core belief, first response is you're full of shit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, you have this social reinforcement through these adults in your life that are your keepers. And they're the ones, yeah, I mean, and so you get this this reinforcement. What about if, uh, hmm, experience? You know, like what if what, what if what if a kid doesn't trust their parents and, you know, they don't have like a, a network of. Of trust
0: or something like that. Like mom and dad always lied to me, so now they're telling me this, and I don't believe it. Sure, so. yeah, <laughs> I don't that, know. <laughs> I mean, we're getting. I mean, that can get real down the psychological rabbit hole. Of, yeah, totally. <laughs> of, of maybe they are telling me the truth, and I'm going to refuse to believe it because I don't like mom and dad. I'm 12, 13 years old, going through puberty, and yeah. they're stupid. Uh, we used to joke when my, I still my son, who's much older than 19 now, one of my sons, we, we I tell him. Between the age of up to 12 and 13 years old, I was the smartest man in the world. Between the age of 13 and 19, I was the biggest dumbass in the world. And after 19 onward, he thought, yeah, okay, you're not as dumb as I thought you were. So, <laughs> you know, we could, have, we could have some intelligent conversations, especially, you know, now he's much older and we laugh about that. But I think most kids go through that. Oh, sure. And in the rebellion stage. But, the, you know, the real significant impact comes when kids are much younger and the, the frontal cortex does not process the information. It goes straight into the limbic system. Mm. It's an emotional belief. And those become core beliefs. And a lot of those are hard to shake. You know, some of the biggest core beliefs are on, you know, as we're older, some of our biggest core beliefs are founded on the topics of religion, politics, family values. Those are the things that we learn at a very, a lot of us learn at a very young age, I know people today who say that they're conservative. And if you really sit down and have a conversation with them and it's like, why are you Republican? Why do you vote Republican all the time? You find out mom and dad were Republican, grandpa and grandma Republican, or it could be Democrat. And they don't care. And then it becomes everything the Republicans or the Democrats do is right. Everything the other side does is wrong. An us versus them scenario. It creates an us versus them. Yeah, that them. Like, kind of dehumanizes the other side,
1: but enhances or enlightens or what heightens the the side that you're on.
0: You know. And I think it's especially true for people who still live in their echo chambers. And I know this. What's well, the um, bubble? You know, it's so safe it to is. be in the bubble. You know, you want to be in a nice bubble, and you want to be accepted.
1: You know, and well, it's especially like you know the the idea of heaven and paradise, you know, you want to like maybe achieve that, you know, sometime in your life or, you know, avoid hell or all these like perils of the mind that, that we're just exposed to through growing up. I mean, gosh, growing up, like all these stories that we we know of, like everybody knows about the Bible. If you're born in the United States of America, you know, anyway, that's actually kind of one of the topics, right? Like, is the country founded upon a certain religious belief? you know?
0: I so know. so <laughs> for, are... full, for full disclosure for, for anybody that's listening, this is our introductory episode, but it's actually our third recording.
1: Yeah. That's <laughs> so true. We,
0: we already have our, we already have first two, but one of those, the, the first one, the second one that we recorded, and we're recording another one a, a continuation next weekend is on is on God and scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament and there's a lot of people who grew up with that and their belief system is embedded primarily on what they learned at a very early age and then everything they've learned after that they frame within the context of this is truth because it has to fit into my core beliefs of what I learned at an early age this is what I want people to that listen to us to challenge themselves daily to question their own beliefs to look at things with an open mind and to create hypotheses on what if my belief is wrong let me go out and actually challenge myself and look for evidence to prove myself wrong most of the people that i know that are in that category spend all their time looking for evidence to prove that they're right people don't like being wrong oh no yeah Mm -mm. it puts us in a defensive position you know most of that this is a hard subject to have with We'll talk about for those that continue to listen further on than this, you know, in our third episode or our, you know, Oh God part one episode. People that don't believe that, you know, the young earth believers that we're only 6,000 years, it's kind of hard to go back and talk about how the hunter gatherers in societies formed 50,000 or years ago or older. But it is hard saying. I love keeping an
1: open mind about that stuff because, oh, I mean, it's, it's it's real fantastic. <laughs> like, sorry for the plug, but like, that's real, you know? It like, is real. <laughs> it, it,
0: and this was one of the epiphanies that I had because, you know, James is a friend. And when we're sitting here having a conversation talking about hunter-gatherer society and how... 50 to 100,000 years ago, there's evidence that they were already ascribing supernatural powers to natural phenomena that exist, such as lightning and death and the wind and the, the sun coming up and the moon going down. And you could see how a lot of this, you know, started to form. The first pantheons of gods. You know, well, if the sun comes up, it must be a god of the sun, and if there's a lightning strike, it must be a god of that blue bolt that just streaked through the sky. Well, and
1: having answers too, you know, gives gives a person power. You know, I mean, an influence over society and their their tribe. You know, it brings people, value. Brings value, yeah. And if people are coming, you know, for answers and looking for hope and stuff, you know, you gotta have something. You know, so it it, it provides a certain kind of foundation. For at least an X amount of time.
0: <laughs> well, and again, I think this is—I think this is embedded into. It. I, I think this is embedded, not inbred. I think this is embedded in our. Well, maybe a, maybe it is embedded,
1: like kind of inbred, right? Like embedded in DNA through. Well, you're thinking like,
0: about it like the union collective unconscious. It's like things maybe. that we that we're born with that are there from the day that we're born.
1: And yeah, or like you know maybe like certain things like. Being able to read better or write better or sing better or draw better or something, you know, could come from some sort of conditioning that comes from DNA or like, I don't know, like being susceptible to a certain cultural force is stronger to a person, you know, because of like their
0: parents, grandparents, like,
1: or is it all just social? I don't know these questions. No, I I mean, but some of (laughs) it's going to be and
0: think... Okay, if you're, if you're living on, the, on, on in the savannah and the plains of Africa 75,000 years ago, you, you have to have some kind of value to your small tribe or community in order for them to still keep you as part of that tribe Absolutely, or community.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's survival of the fittest. And, yeah. So
0: having information, you know, being wrong today can result in you being, you know, if you're wrong all the time, it can result to you being you know, a little bit maybe a outcast in the social spectrum where your friends don't rely on you so much for information. But when your life expectancy was you know, between the ages of 24 and 26 years and you're, you relied on your community for survival and you were wrong all the time. Yeah, no. I mean, you'd either be ignored or you'd be going down. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, they'd
1: stop giving you the uh, the first cut <laughs> right i mean you
0: know you you crawl into your little bunk and go to sleep at two o'clock in the morning all your friends wake up and pack the shit up and tiptoe away and <laughs> yeah you know thag gets left behind in the savannah and is you know food for the lions so mm-hmm. it's so a hard I, lesson to learn i think that is embedded in a lot of our uh, again our collective unconscious as as to why we don't want to be wrong we want you know we want to see ourselves as a, as a contributor to to our community because it is a it is, a, it is a basis of, historically, of survival. Like, we have value.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: And I like this, the collective unconscious. I read his paper on, on his collective unconscious, and it was, it was quite interesting. And it, it answered even some of the things that I'd thought about before. I, I'd watched a documentary years ago about sea turtles, how they'll come to the shore, and they'll lay their eggs in the sand. And then the eggs will hatch in the sand, and you have all these turtle hatchlings. And I, I love sea turtles. And the first thing that they do is they pop up out of the sand and they all make a beeline for the water and they know it's survival. The gulls and the other birds come down and they're trying to pick off as many of them as they can before they make it to the water. Yeah, the
1: opportunists right there. But,
0: right, but my thought was is how do these things that have zero experience in life know from the moment they hatch through a, a shell that they have to burst through the sand and then make a beeline to the water. There
1: you go, right? Like what, what drives them to do
0: that? There's yeah. other things that, there, you know, it's very indicative in our own DNA. Uh, for example, there's studies that show that we have a natural fear of spiders and snakes before we ever have experience with spiders and snakes. Hmm. Why is that? Well, 50,000 years ago, people would have known that there were certain spiders and certain snakes that were venomous and that were deadly, and we were to avoid those. And that becomes part of our collective unconscious over not hundreds of years but over tens of thousands of
1: years or here's my crazy artist brain pulling something out of my ass maybe they're other dimensional beings and they're just like super tiny and we have this subconscious like oh my god we know that you know they could just climb in our ear and take over our brain but there's an understanding that we don't as long as we don't kill them we're nanobots (laughs) and we're just ugly bags of mostly water (laughs)
0: yeah (laughs) but but and it's also it's we see this. We see this in other aspects of our of our characteristics on why we tend to look to the worst. Um, oh, sure. When things happen, why our
1: brains are always on like a high alert, high alert for all that? Yeah.
0: So imagine, imagine you're walking through the jungles in Southeast Asia, and again, fifty thousand years ago. Well, we wouldn't have been that far, but maybe thirty thousand years ago, and you see rustling in the bushes behind some trees so you have two choices it could either be the wind blowing through the bushes or it could be a tiger waiting to pounce out and yeah and you know or a rival chew tribe off a leg or a rival tribe <laughs> so you know only one of those options leads to an improved chance of survival one is just saying ah, i'm hoping for the best i'm gonna go there but instead survival mechanisms kick in again it's part of our thought nobody has the answer we can't we can't draw the connection there. Or there. But there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that points to the conditions of our existence tens of thousands of years ago. Our, our brains have not evolved mm-hmm. much since the you know the Homo sapiens sapiens appeared you know, around 100,000 years ago uh, until now. You know, we we have evidence that you know as we've evolved our brains have gotten larger. But again, for the there's not a lot of evidence that points to that in the last you know since Homo sapiens sapiens first appeared, we are. We, you know, we are our, we have characteristics of our ancestors built into our DNA.
1: I mean, even the DNA right there, I mean, it has to have building blocks for something. It came from somewhere, didn't
0: just come from nothing. So this is the challenge in one of our conversations coming up. One of the things that we want to do here is you know, not get into uh, the specifics, but we do, you know, We we want to encourage people to engage with us in these conversations because that's the goal of the podcast. If you disagree with us, we may push back with evidence that we have. You may push back with evidence that you have. In the end, we may agree to disagree, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. We, yeah, the last thing I want to do is live in a world with everybody that agrees with my opinions because, damn, what a boring world.
1: Well, and I always try and find the, uh, the common denominator, too. And sometimes by finding the common one, you, know, you find the uncommon one, too. And that's pretty cool, you know, what, what can become of, of
0: that space. And there's a lot of common ground in there. I think today we live in a society of snowflakes where everybody is so sensitive to topics. And if somebody disagrees with you, especially in the realm of politics or religion, then it automatically becomes an us versus them. We're right. You're wrong. Yeah. Maybe it doesn't have to be that, you know, we can just
1: (laughs) freedom of speech, right? You know, like we'll be able to talk about these things and not just go straight to like guns blazing. (laughs) and,
0: And that's what we want to do is we want to have a conversation. Let's yeah. discuss our differences because I worry about my children and my children's children, and I I want them to grow up in a world where people are more open-minded, are not afraid to say I don't know or I could be wrong, and even if it's a core belief, if we want, if we want to you know continue to progress as a species, I think it's a critical aspect, uh, and I think it's something especially in the last four years of you know, with what we had uh, under Trump and we've seen the radicalization of you know, both parties. Oh my God, so much it, has become so
1: radical. Like, I, yeah, yeah, I remember genuinely being scared. Like I almost got ran off the road by this guy that called me the N-word and he was this white guy and it was this whole like weird experience because I was crossing the road and wearing a blue shirt and uh, I already had my life threatened before with this other guy that like called me name and, like all this road rage from where I was from and it was just these angry angry guys all and it was just so coincidental because it was like blue versus red and people were talking nazis and it's just like what the hell like where is this coming from you have this one group of people that are like encouraging this behavior but like suffering from like what i call toadyism where they're basically just betting that as long as they keep betting on the bully they're not going to face his wrath as they just watch everything just fall to shit. (laughs) Uh, And they're like, Oh, but we're going to get rewarded. Right. We're going to get a biscuit, you know, like, no, like you guys got duped by like uh, the great bamboozler as our buddy. James would say like, seriously, like just show me one good thing the guy could do or like follow through with like, me, personally, folks, I've had experience with, with, with con artists before, like, I'm an artist. I, The the art world and the music world are so predatory, it's like pimps and hoes, like, if you know what I'm talking about, the book Pimp, you know, like, it's capitalism, and it's just so predatory, and to just watch everybody fall to this force, it's like, oh my god, that's what it looks like on a grander scale, like, how to get screwed. And we did guys, the, the, the U S got fucked. Um, so now we're all trying to make better. And I, I'm, I'm not advocating, you know, cause the knee jerk reaction for everybody out there that's a the Trumpster is like, Oh, fuck Biden and fuck Obama. And you know, whatever. No, no, no. We're way beyond all that. We need to get here and now and, uh, and, and be constructive with where we're at, you know, especially now because con- there's, there's, there's already shit flying with Trump's best buddy, uh, Putin, you know, so here we go. <laughs> yeah,
0: and this is one of the exercises that I, I went through is one of the things that I believe that we should be able to do is even people that we despise is to make a concerted effort to say one good thing about them.
1: Yeah, and so like, that's a really great exercise because I, I, I do sympathize with, with Trump people and the Trump family to a certain degree, like I can only imagine what it is like to be the Those people, Um, and you know the situations and the hands that they've been dealt. You know, I like to think that everybody's working with the best with what they've got. (sighs) One good thing about Trump is he is really good at self-aggrandization. (laughs) self-promotion.
0: <laughs> He's, he is very good about... and I and I'm gonna, I mean, here I am gonna...
1: advocating for him right now just by talking about him is promoting him. Okay, so... And we... actually, it's promoting his brand, technically. Sorry to interrupt, but his brand is a brand of hate. And where you can reference that from is from the documentary on Netflix um, called Get Me Roger Stone. And it's all about his promoter that helped him and um, Richard Nixon. He was the guy that got Donald Trump and Richard Nixon... Into the White House, he takes credit for that or whatever. It's a documentary about that guy, and uh, yeah, and he says in plain English, "we we are motivate we motivate people through hate. It works. Um, some something along those lines, or what his quote is, is that hate works. So
0: it does. And he's um, not he's not
1: he's, he's kind of not wrong, you know, because let me look wrong. at the evidence, right? You know, I mean, it did work. Uh, Hitler worked too, right? You know, to like a certain degree. Sorry, guys. Um, you know, I mean, we're just looking at like the facts, these are, these are uncomfortable topics, but this it's shit that happened. Uh, you know, like <laughs> we, we, we lived through that history. So <laughs>
0: I followed, I followed Donald Trump for a while and I, so for full, you know, we don't want to spend a lot of time on Trump because you and I discussed this too. And it's like, you know, talk spending a lot of time on it gives him power. Yeah. And it's not, it's like, you know, you know, we don't want to put him on the level of Voldemort, but <laughs> it, it's. I followed him for years long before he was president. And I was kind of fascinated, not with him, but with how he could manipulate his environment on a continual basis. He, he is not one of the most intelligent people in the world, by far. But, well, but he's savvy. And he, he climbed the ladder by stepping on the throats of people beneath him continuously. And most of the people that paid the price... People like us, you know, common men or the contractors that he would fire on payday or the day before payday and refuse to pay him because he would claim shoddy work and then just say, you know, if you want your money, you got to take me to court. And then offer a settlement of you know 30 cents on the dollar. It's
1: one of those things you don't and, want to believe until it's happening to you. And then it's happening to you and you're just like, oh shit, everyone was right. Oh my God, how could I have not seen this? And that's just, well.
0: Well, you saw it when he, when he got elected. Hmm. I, you know, the, the Just the sheer number of people that he brought into office. To do a job and when those people tried to do the job he would fire them for not doing the job in the way that he wanted them to do the job even though they could do the job better than he could uh, and then and then he would throw them out and basically stab him in the back to the media and and then the people would come through and it's like whoa i never realized that let me tell you it's like come on you know, there, there's 50 years of history out there uh, on on people like trump but i have friends who are Trump supporters, and we can talk about these things, and that's awesome, and that's kind of what we want to do in this podcast—is you know, get both perspectives on you know what what did you like about him? Because I'll tell you, I had nothing. My dislike for him had nothing to do with policies. It had to do—it was it was purely constitutional, is based on the tradition and the values of America. That's where you know me and some of my friends have have had a more common ground because they'll like his policies, and I've turned some people around just by pointing to or encouraging them to learn more about our history and the values of America. Read the Constitution. Read the Federalist Papers. Who do you care for more, Donald Trump or our founding fathers and uh, the, 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 the ideology and the beliefs and the system that they put in place to make our republic work? And, and that's kind of the goal of the podcast, podcast with, with multiple topics. I also want to mention that we, we really want to encourage our fans and, and listeners uh, even if you you know think both of us are idiots and you hate us, uh, let us know.
1: That's yeah, fine. Um, you know, uh, please you know limit the uh, showing of guns and death threats. Um, but yeah, you know. because we don't judge. <laughs> we're we're yeah. not going to judge
0: you. We don't judge people. for Yeah, believing I would differently genuinely
1: love to see where I'm coming from. Is yeah, I have a lot of family members that were pro-Trump and we would get passionate about things because they just could never seem to point me in the direction of like. Anything positive or constructive, um, it was all just the the same echo chamber hype that came from Fox News. And I was like, okay, I've, I've heard this. I've heard that Jesus Christ is my savior, you know, like, but what if that's wrong? <laughs> uh, you know, because there's a lot of evidence that maybe, you know, it's uh, up to something else.
0: So for those <laughs> that want to let us know what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right, have questions that they want us to pose or to discuss on a podcast um, or to open up a dialogue outside of the podcast. So you have, you have a couple ways that you could reach us. Uh, one, you can reach us directly um, at our email, which is debate at irrationaldiscourse.com. And we will make every effort to respond to all of them. I can promise you that we will read all emails that we receive. We may not be able to respond to all of them, but we will make an effort. The other way is through our website at www.irrationaldiscourse.com. There is a Contact Us page. Uh, feel free to uh, submit that. It ends up coming into our same inbox, so we we get those as well. And also for those that do like this show, we, we exist solely on the generosity of our members. So we have a membership page. Uh, you can contribute to the show to keep us going for as low as $5 a month. And we have different perks uh, for different thresholds of contributions where you you can join us in our forum where we will have open dialogue back and forth. Chris and I will both monitor that and respond and you can exchange uh, communication with other members. There there are rules. We believe in respectful, rational discourse in a non-judgmental manner. So we we don't tolerate over-the-top emotional outbursts, name-calling, insults. Or, or really putting somebody down so we will boot people for for violating those rules so all we need is a little love love it <laughs> so with with that I, we're going to take a, a quick five minute break and then we're going to come back and jump into uh, the topics that we have identified so far and just give an overview of them and kind of briefly discuss them to give everybody uh, an idea of what's coming up with the show that worked we're recording again
1: yeah
0: <laughs> let me get you a good guinness pour i'm i'm trying to milk this one i think it's my last one for the night maybe <laughs> so again thanks uh yeah so i think first off thank anybody who's listening for, yeah, yes. for listening this far uh to our little bit of rambling <laughs> this isn't our this isn't our first recording but we had a we had a few um we had a few beers before we came on so we're we're a little bit warm and ready to go and we basically touched upon in the in the first part some of the concepts that that we really want to focus on is is really getting society our small little corner of society to have whatever kind of positive impact that we we can have and getting people just to talk to each other and to love each other and to respect each other. Even if we have different beliefs, we have to respect people with different beliefs. I mean, I I made the comment before the break that I don't want to live in a world where people, everybody believes the way I do.
1: Oh yeah, that'd be so boring
0: and creepy. It would be boring and creepy. I mean, anybody out there listening to this, do you actually want to live in that same kind of world? I've known people who have said, no, absolutely not. They agreed with me. Mm -hmm. And then the minute they hear that somebody that has a different opinion than they are, you know, automatically that person's an asshole or they're an idiot. They don't know any better. And it's like, so you, you want to live in a world where people have different opinions, but you want to spend all your time judging those people and hating them. Mm-hmm. What kind of life is that? We have one life. Unless, unless you're part of the, the Christian community or, you know, some of the other you know religions out there that believe we have more than one life, but try to enjoy the life that we have today. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe those differences are what create the friction that makes the energy that motivates and drives us Uh, and we all live in a fucking simulation anyway so you know god's a supercomputer
1: maybe maybe you know maybe yeah maybe god is yeah he's just like well i'm bored what would be a good life to live and then he rolls the dice and (laughs) And here we all are
0: So we've as I, as I mentioned we we have already recorded a couple episodes so the the first episode that' we'll, that we'll release after this is is our red pill blue pill theory where you know we we get into subjective beliefs versus objective beliefs. Um, do we live in a simulation? would we even be able to tell if we could tell, would we choose to live in that simulation or choose to live in the real world? We kind of delve into that. Just listening back to it the other day to do the editing, I kind of enjoyed the episode. Nice. <laughs> <It> was, yes. <laughs> I, I thought it was good, and our friends and family that have listened to it like that one as well. So um, I think we did pretty good on our on our first one, which was a kind of started off as a bullshit episode that we didn't think was going to go anywhere. Anyway, we were just doing it to test the equipment, and, yeah. and ended up editing it and saving it as our genesis episode. So the next episode after that. Gets a little bit interesting because we we figured if if our if our job was to talk about controversial topics, what what better topic than God?
1: Oh yeah, to, I mean, to get into that's like the most debated topic even amongst people that are of religious faiths. Is they even debate the word,
0: right? The word, the belief system, the scriptures yeah. behind the God. same way
1: we the same way judges debate uh, the Constitution. Yes, or you know the yeah.
0: <laughs> yes, and so. You know, we had that was the episode where uh, we have a, uh, a friend I personally am agnostic I'm I'm not an atheist I am not devout I I don't know um, for various reasons if you want to know why you can listen to that episode but you know, our friend who is a he came over for dinner and we had some drinks and then we spent probably almost four hours of recording only two and a half of that will will make the episode on debating scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, Peter James, yes, fun. That was that was a fun time. It was. Uh, and I'd love to have him on again. <laughs> we and we will next weekend actually. So this started off as our as our first really hot topic episode, which was titled "Oh God Part One." Oh God Part Two was going to be on organized religion, but Oh God Part One, we as I said, we went for four hours and ended up you know cutting almost you know well over an hour of that. Because we were getting tired, we'd had a, a few too, too much to drink, a few too many to drink, maybe. So next Saturday, you know, Peter James is coming over. He's the author of the book, uh, God is Great, a Bible rebuttal to Christopher Hitchens. Uh, again, he's, his name is Peter James, is the author. Um, so we're, we're having an Oh God, Part 1, Chapter 2, uh, that he wants to uh, get into topics such as evolution, I have some hot topics that I want to go back to with him, like 2 Kings 2.23 and 2.24, uh, how he can justify as a Christian, God sending two she-bears to maul to death 42 children, the the stoning to death of a woman that is raped, uh, condoning uh, God raping um, the women of Zion himself, uh, how somebody a man can rape a virgin and pay 50 shekels uh, to her father and then marry her and get away with it for the rest of his life and all of this is fine That's so we have a weird. lot of things to discuss
1: you know, may, you know and uh, yeah i would love to see if maybe he's got some wiggle room on some of the uh some of the dates um with with when and how things happened uh you know because um i love to work with him uh, i guess what i'm trying to say is like oh you know maybe uh may, maybe that is true you know but uh just uh be a little flexible right here with you know some of the dates i don't know so i'm not a geologist
0: <laughs> so james has his work cut out for us in one way i mean one of the things that you know he he has been quite open about you know wanting to convert me um, the problem that i have is i i grew up in a religious household um, and I, I make clear in the next episode i was half of my family was catholic the other half was pentecostal i grew up as a believer i even entertained the possibility of uh, becoming a priest at some point in my life when i started to have doubt i went back and started to read the bible again to confirm my beliefs so i kind of took a unscientific approach uh, the scientific method says We have some thoughts, we observe, we analyze, we create a hypothesis, and then you go through the exercise of proving yourself wrong and then asking your friends to prove yourself wrong. I I did the opposite. I came up with a hypothesis that uh, Christianity is good for the world, God exists, and then I set out on an exercise to prove myself right. And I only sought out people who who shared the beliefs that I want to have, that I wanted to have. And the more I studied the Bible, the more questions came up. The, the more futile the answers seem to be, the more rudimentary, immature, immoral, unethical uh, the evidence uh, supporting those answers seemed to be. And, and eventually it broke me. And it just, I got to a point where I realized one day, you know, I, I, was, I, I, was, I have a technology, my first degree was in technology. And, you know, when you start learning, you know, the world of physics and the natural laws of the universe and these things, it, it's so much more magnificent and amazing than oh, I love anything physics. that you learn from a priest or a rabbi or the bible which physics
1: is, is fantastic because i mean it it doesn't make as soon as you see how things that don't really make sense make sense it's
0: amazing <laughs> yeah and this is one of the questions we've had in the uh, god episode is you know god created everything which is one of the founding arguments of creationist and intelligent design which means that he understood particle physics in absolute detail far more than we understand as a human species today and you know strong magnetic force strong nuclear forces weak nuclear forces the electromagnetic forces the gravitational forces uh, singularities the expanding universe dark matter he understood all of that. But in the next breath, he wants to tell us how God really struggled and couldn't figure out how to get the seed of Abraham to pass down the line. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) You know, this guy can do anything that, that completely blows our mind today, but he can't get the definition of perfect right. He can't get his laws right. He creates 613 laws. That contradict each other he mauls children he commits genocide he condones slavery he condones sexual assault he condones filicide pedicide you know, so these are the things See, really that like, we discuss yeah
1: I, I really like taking the the metaphorical uh, approach of like these are stories that you know are like the telephone game these are stories that are telling stories to kind of give life lessons to people in, in a way i mean they're Gosh, there's so much to it, uh, so many layers for why the Bible and like organized religion and stuff, you know, has had such a profound influence. Like, cause I don't want to say like it's all like, oh no, you shouldn't do, you know, you shouldn't be this way. And it's like, no, 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 no. no. Like, I, I've been to churches, I've seen miracles potentially, you know, people praying for people that had cancer and uh, and then have recovered. Uh, where I've come from, you know, with my kind of like, I guess, exposure to spiritual background is my, my parents were, they they both divorced when I was really young. And neither of them really came from particularly strict religious backgrounds. Although a few of my aunts and uncles were very devout, um, whether they'd be Catholic or Christian. And uh, when I was kind of coming of that age, when I was around, you know, seven, eight, you know, kind of learning about the world, like where we were talking about I remember my dad sat me down and actually gave me the choice. You know, he was like, hey, you've been to Sunday school a couple of times with your cousins. Uh, you know, you've got a little exposure. Would you like to go to church? It's up to you. And, uh, and I declined. I said, no, I'm not really interested in that. Lived my life until a little bit later. I, uh, I was visiting my dad uh, in Wisconsin at work. And um, I was younger, probably like middle school, just about to approach high school. And there was a summer camp, but it was a Christian summer camp. Um, And so he told me, you know, you're going to be exposed to you know, religious stuff, Christian stuff, the Bible. You know, are you okay with that? And I was like, yeah, no, it'd be great. I don't really know about that stuff. And I get to go to this cool camp? Heck yeah. It was a two-week camp and I was really involved in in the Bible and a lot of hell and, you know, like... uh, this, these like mantras of confessing your sins to Jesus
0: and a little bit of sodomy.
1: Um, no sodomy. No. Although I did witness one of my bunk mates get terribly bullied. Um, like I felt so bad for him. And now even in retrospect, like I did nothing. I just observed like a fucking asshole. Um, (laughs) you're a kid. Yeah. But, um, it was a fun camp, but I never really could like, Get the whole like. I mean, I, I I said the words, you know. I confessed everything I had thought. I, I basically confessed everything that brought me shame. And like, oh, you know, I've masturbated before, and you know, I've done these things. You know, like Jesus, please don't send me to the pit of hell. Um, and I thought it was ridiculous then, and I, I genuinely went in with an open mind and an open heart and listened to what they had to say. But it it, it just wasn't for me, and I still continue uh, to listen. Uh, too, you know, I'm very fascinated with spiritualism and religious thought and like energy and woo woo stuff. I'm totally open ear to 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 all of that um, because I I believe in physics and I've studied physics uh, too a little bit um, you know, back in my my school days and it, it's amazing. It's there's nothing like like go like metaphor here going in front of a keyboard and not knowing anything about it and then all of a sudden being able to play Mozart and that space in between from not knowing and then knowing is just that dopamine rush is so
0: awesome it's something it's, <laughs> a lot of times it's the it's the journey it's not the destination oh yeah yeah oh, so. but that that's 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 where I'm coming from yeah. you know yes. from so we have a uh, we have From a vi- we have a visitor. So I have a I have a six month old Labrador who decided to come in, and she's a bull in a china shop. So let me. Oh wait, no. So yeah, hold on, just a second. Okay, <laughs> so I got I got like a ninety pound white lab who's our polar bear. That's Solo, and then Princess Leia Leia is our six month old black lab, and she's nuts. And. Okay, we got the Sydney, we got Sydney. We got the the fifteen pound pug that's running around terrorizing <laughs> both of them. She's like a little muppet. She a is a sock little, puppet. She's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her. She's awesome. Yeah, she's a, so fun. Yeah. A, that yeah. There she is. Well, I think but, that's Sydney right now. Yeah. That that speak Sydney of the devil. Right now, so. Uh, yeah. So you know a lot of the conversations that we get into. I've. I was thinking about this last night. I was having problems sleeping and I was I was really thinking um, along these lines of a lot of our conversations boil down to uh, the the simple argument or debate of uh, ignorance and I'm not saying ignorance in a a, a negative, judgmental manner. Ignorance just simply means you don't have the information available. You don't have the knowledge.
1: Or does it mean like you're willing to ignore something? You know? In, in like, some
0: cases, yeah. But I, yeah. I'm using it in the context of you. You just haven't been. You, you know, you're ignorant on a, on on the information of something. I'm, it's I- like I'm ignorant. I'm ignorant. It's innocent. It's innocent. Innocent. innocent lack of no- Innocent yeah. lack of knowledge. Yeah. Um, so you're basically ignorance versus. Uh, subjective beliefs. Um, I think one way that I, I heard it last week that I liked was th- the the terms were knowledge deficit or motivated reasoning. Hmm. And knowledge deficit means do we just not understand it? Um, and motivated reasoning is, or are we just motivated to believe otherwise? And, and there's a lot of that that comes in. And I, I think in our conversations on God, we run into a little bit of both because we have again one of our guests we we talk is and he's you know very open he doesn't like all that science stuff so you know has no fundamental understanding of geology or particle physics or biology but is very motivated to believe in the system that he has convinced himself with, that is true which is the uh, the Hebrew Aramaic uh, verses of the Bible and the New Testament um, under Jesus. So we we've, we've had a lot of discussions on, you know, the uh, uh, Mosianic laws and the 613 laws, um, you know, how those were overridden by Christ's laws, and you know, any any evidence that he receives or people like him receive that contradict that, it's rejected because it doesn't fit into the framework because there is a motivated reason for them to reject that so it's not a lack of knowledge but there are other areas where our lack of knowledge it's like i i have no interest in in learning about biology or, you know not me um but you know these you know some people it's like i don't want to i don't want to understand biology i don't want to understand science it, it's it's too complicated what i learn in the bible is a lot more simple and makes sense so i choose to believe that and it's like just because something is complicated doesn't make it False. You know, I think, so on kind of this topic right here,
1: you ever noticed, do you remember back when you were in school, um, you know, the teacher would ask a question, there'd always be a few students that would instantly know the answer and raise their hands and, you know, like eventually kind of everybody else would either sort of know the answer or kind of fade off, fade away. There's this kind of phenomenon that develops where like the kids that know the answer keep knowing the answers but then the kids that don't necessarily know the answers kind of, like, intellectually depend on that, you know? They'll like, either
0: depend upon it or they'll reject it and just beat the shit out of the kid at recess. For or being, that, too,
1: yeah. Or completely, like, yeah, disassociate from yeah. all of that. Yeah. And,
0: yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's... there's the, just for, again, I want to reiterate that. Just because in a lot of the things that we discuss do get complex. And just because something is complex doesn't mean that it's automatically not true. The universe and the laws of nature are under no obligation to make sense to us. And, and in fact, I find that interesting. Do mm. you, you know where the term making sense comes from? Mm, no, I don't. Okay, it's, it's literally sense. It's our five senses. Oh, our five senses. Yes, it doesn't make you know if we can't see it, touch it, taste it, smell it, hear it, hmm. uh, then you know things. Something doesn't make sense. That's mm-hmm. that's one of the origins of the phrase "making sense." This makes a sense. So, this makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so there are a lot of things that we understand today in life, natural laws, that don't make sense. Uh, we. We sat around and got drunk one night doing a stupid... No, it wasn't a stupid game. I don't want to say that. We had fun. We were playing with my son, Josh. Um, I can't, was it? it. was like It was kids against humanity. It wasn't cards against humanity. Oh, it was okay. kids against humanity. <laughs> and we, we got on, the, we got on the, the subject of eyesight, for example. And I said, if you, know, if you take a full keyboard or a full piano and consider that the spectrum of light only three keys make up the visible spectrum that we see oh yeah everything outside of that to the range to the right to the range to the left is invisible to us we cannot see that that it doesn't it doesn't mean that it isn't there and it doesn't mean that it it, you know it influences the laws of nature it just doesn't make sense to us because we don't see it yeah we have to understand how x-rays and uv and things across the entire spectrum of existence how, how do how do particles <laughs> if we if we examine them and we're looking for them to behave as a particle they act as a particle and if we're looking at them to behave as a wave they behave as a wave yeah that observer effect it's the observer effect heisenberg's uncertainty principle so there's a lot of shit out there dark matter you know we thought we knew a lot about the universe and now we realize that you know 95 of the universe is made up of something that we can't explain it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything that we've learned in the past is wrong but we don't understand. It's it just yet. more information. It, it's, yeah, it's keep, more that we have to learn. So this is what keep collecting that data. This is where we're going to struggle on the God topics, especially with the creationist. Uh, sorry, that's uh, yeah. Mm, I just delicious. I just pull the Band-Aid off and rip mm-hmm. it off. You know, this is where we we are going to have challenges with uh, with some who. You know, it doesn't make sense, so it can't be true. And what is written in this book is so much more reasonable because it's simple. There was Adam and Eve, and they did it all. And um, don't talk to me about how they got past the first generation with uh, without incest. And you can have you can kill the rest oh, of that one yeah, if you want. Yeah, thank you. And so. So, know, we, so, a
1: lot of that too, you know. I mean, you kind of mentioned it a little earlier. It sounds a little bit like a mushroom trip,
0: uh, <laughs> you know, some some of that stuff. Yeah, we can see if we can get um, if we can get James to take some shrooms and see where that goes. Oh my, MK Ultra. <laughs> 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 but you know, he, he, I, I, I love the guy, and he came forward, and I asked him. You know, so we didn't cover half of what I wanted to cover in our first. Um, God episode and he immediately jumped on it and said then we need to have another episode and he wants to get into things like evolution because he doesn't believe the world is older than 6,000 years old as What's scary is thirty-eight percent of Americans fall into that young creationist group that believe that the world is only six thousand year old. Thirty-eight so, percent. That's amazing. It's amazing because, like, I mean, it's it's a it's hundred and twenty some million people. It's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's a it's a scary number of people when all evidence in science points otherwise. This gets into other topics that we're likely going to cover. Is the lack of faith in science these days and a lot of this has been triggered over the COVID pandemic hmm it's what oh because the you know yeah anti-vaxxing and like and it's triggered a lot mm. of loss in the faith you know a lot of lack of faith in in science and I think this is one of the more dangerous roads that the fear makes you go back to like see like that's the thing about like
1: being like like fear um is uh it's always there for you, ever present. You know, our brains are always looking for, you know, all the things. And so there's a certain kind of comfort in when things are scary, you know, like the COVID epidemic to be like, you know, to, to reject that and be like,
0: <laughs> to essentially give up all your power and start praying to the book. Um, well, the book is based on fear. And, and actually, to in the credit of the Old Testament, and we, we get into this. Um, in in the in the god episodes is you know there there is no heaven and hell in the old testament that's a that's a tool of the church that goes into oh god part 2 and organized religion how organized religion used the construct of of hell as a uh, as a method of fear in order to get people to be compliant um, primarily with the catholic church for the first 15 centuries so you know we want to touch upon that those subjects quite a bit and james who is very devout and very much into scripture the hebrew aramaic bible is also very much opposed to organized religion so it's it's a very interesting yeah and and, and, dichotomy. To, and
1: to the side you know of that too like there could be strange forces that we don't understand you know like like group hive mind thinking and mob mentality you know in the and the reality of how that can make us think is just through like social constructs social pressures like things that i've observed myself be a part of you know like when you're in a crowd or something you know how the crowd just you know like takes you over and next thing you know, you know you're know you talking in mentality tons. yeah yeah um you know and you kind of like lose sight of the individual and you become a part of this larger force you know that's that's very real you know and what where I'm like it's like what is that you know instead of just like being like oh that's God and blah 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 it's like I mean they specifically designed cathedrals to to amplify people's voices you know when the chorus sings inside of it it was based off of geometry and uh, and the physics of sound so when you're in these places you're just totally taken over and then they got the best artists to uh you know paint these pictures before the photograph, you know, before photography. So, you know, you get these just the the height of human excellence through architecture and art and sound, you know, and you got this chorus, that's just singing the song of God, you know, it just takes you over. I'm so I, I don't really care what the art is saying, per se, I'm so just fascinated with that force behind that, all that real energy, you know, there, that People in life do create and bring, you know, I, I don't want to like disparage anyone from, you know, their beliefs or what gives them passion or gives them the energy or the drive to go to a place like that and sing. you know, because I think that that there are lessons uh, uh, in life, you know, that come from these stories and these these metaphors and these myths or these texts and this art or this channeling or whatever you want to call it, the books, the Bibles, the, the spiritual talking, you
0: know, there's, the, the Tippitaka, taka the Talmud, yeah. uh, whatever, the, yeah, the, mean, the Quran.
1: There's, there's so many different perspectives of like what God is and stuff. And me personally, I'm, I'm not particularly interested in being definitive about that. I'm more interested in
0: the physics of it you know, uh, and, uh, or I think in this case it's less about physics and more about psychology.
1: More about psychology, yeah. And 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 I think we're in a time now in the evolution of our people where we're more of a global society. You know, we're not in just these like small sectors and stuff. You know, so where we don't really need to fight over the semantics of what book is the book, you know, or anything. But you know, can find ways to uh, to to be a whole people. Through talking about all of them, uh, all, all all of them, not just like us versus them, and oh, because I believe this, then I can't believe that. But like, what what if what if we just analyzed it all? What if
0: we believed it all? I mean, <laughs> then may, yeah, maybe heads would explode because yeah, there's a like the Old Testament. There's a lot of contradictory beliefs and yeah, <laughs>
1: it's, well, like even contradiction, like some. Some philosophies you know say that like the path of the master is to have two contradicting thoughts that you hold in yourself but you like keep them but you don't like act upon one or the other. That's the
0: open mind the open mind yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in talking to some people there, there's uh, there's a phrase that I like and I I heard it from Neil deGrasse Tyson and I'm not sure I believe I can't remember who he heard it from but it was basically, you You can't teach or argue somebody out of a belief with reason that they didn't use reason to get into in the first place. Mm, yeah, so that's where the open mind comes in. It's you know a lot of times we don't use logic or reason as part of our belief system or some of our belief system. Mm-hmm. and we have to be able to keep that open mind to you know maybe that's wrong and you know, we're, you know, realizing that a core belief is wrong is a, is a very uncomfortable experience. But ultimately, the reward is significantly higher because it's a it can be a very enlightening experience. And as I mentioned earlier, for me, that's a dopamine rush. Yeah, oh, it yeah. really is. It's it's the ultimate of mental cognitive rewards where I realize I was wrong. I learned something new. It's opened my eyes, and it's also a lesson in abject humility. And I think we all need. There's, there's, you know, there's nothing wrong with, with, uh, with having, we all need to be a little bit more intellectually humble. Mm. In oh, yeah. oh, yeah. It's a good thing to practice for sure. So yes. the God, the God episode should continue to prove interesting. Next Saturday, we're recording, uh, our fourth recording, which is, Oh God, part one, chapter two. And I don't know if it's going to go into a chapter three, because like I said, we went from four hours. We cut it down to two and a half. Uh, there, there are a lot of questions that we've got that we've received. Uh, to go through you know, both pro-theology and both uh, you know, from the atheist or agnostic uh, listeners that, that we want to address. There, there's another aspect to that, which I don't know if we're going to cover as part of that, but you know, morality is a big one. Is, you know, is there objective morality or do we live in a society, a world of subjective morality? Is, is morality defined by God? as objective and that's where everything is founded upon or is it subjective is it based on our our belief system our cultural values our history of being hunter-gatherers on the savannah and we have moralities based on how to best propagate as a species Uh, where does morality come from and that might be a conversation we end up having next week with uh, with james and that'd be super cool we shall see. You you touched also upon you know were we founded as a Christian nation. That was yes. one of, that was one of the items. Yeah, right. Um, I I don't know if officially we were. I mean I don't think
1: unless you know of any paperwork that was signed. Uh, but I think in practice it seems like it kind of was uh, because of the, and I say that because of just how much influence it has had in my life. Growing up, and how much of its influence I see when I travel and when I talk with people.
0: So this is an interesting one, and and my daughter actually did a project last year, and that was the that was the premise of the, the students needed to decide whether they believed that the United States was founded as a Christian nation, and then it, and they needed to put together a project and write an essay um, to support their position one way or the other. Wow. And I, I don't know what the, the ratio was in the split. I, I, I need to talk to the teacher to find out more, but I'd be interested to hear that. Mm-hmm. For me, I'm, you know, being a, an amateur historian and, you know, having read the letters of, of Jefferson and Madison and Washington and Adams and Franklin and, you know, between Washington and Mason and, you know, all, all of our founders, you know, for me, it's a fairly simple topic. It's, you know, we, we were founded... Not as a Christian nation, we were founded on some Christian principles. Jefferson and Franklin, for example, uh, used to mock the Old Testament. They they loved some aspects uh, of of the Bible. You know, love thy neighbor, um, honor thy mother and father, to an extent. You this know, is amazing keep yeah, going it, it, so you know and they saw some of that uh, of course they saw they saw some of that divisiveness at the um, you know at the time of the American Revolution where you know not all children did honor thy mother and father mother and father being you know more uh, loyalists and the other ones being patriots and it created it was similar to the Civil War yeah it created yeah. divisions yeah. in it households crea- it created and- divisions in families yeah so honor, oh yeah um, you know they would but I I Again, and I think I said this in later episodes, one of my favorite quotes was by Jefferson, which was, you know, doubt with boldness, even the existence of God, for if he does exist, he must pay homage to the logic of reason rather than that of blindfolded fear, which paraphrasing means we should all have a healthy level of skepticism in in our lives. And even on the subject of God... And if one day we find that we're wrong, unlike Pascal's wager, you know, we are standing at the gates and we're being judged. God, as an omnipotent, omniscient being, has to pay homage to the logic of reason on this is why I did not believe in you. These yeah. are the factors behind it over that of, oh, of of you know Pascal's wager, which I completely disagree with. I think it's unethical and moral of I believed in you because I was scared of the consequences. Mm hmm. So yeah, so there's a lot to be done with that, and you know a lot of our founders were deists, and th- they did grab onto some of the principles, um, but there was, there were religious waves going on in the eighteenth and in the the, re- the the Enlightenment, the reawakening of, of Christianity, and it was a lot of fire and brimstone, and you know Jonathan Edwards of really preaching the the fear of God holding you over the pits of hell just by his mercy and, you know, really despising and angry and hateful at people who don't believe in him. And, you know, they, they, sounds like a child, it very, it sounds like a child throwing a tantrum and, you know, they, our founders knew all that was bullshit. So no, we, we were founded on, uh, on the principles of, of free religion, that we could, we could practice our own beliefs without oppression by the state. Unlike our mother country we're forbidden to have a national church and government involvement in the church, which is a good thing because I think people should have a personal relationship with their God and they should be secure in that personal relationship and they should be happy and hopefully happy in that relationship without interference from, you know, external influences and specifically the government.
1: Well, thank the awesomeness of our founding fathers for, for having that established for people to be able to have an open mind and and to not have to flood towards one particular way of thinking, but can can be open-minded and and really live free free of th- freedom of thought, you know, right? Yeah, because that does seem to be true as well. From from what I uh, grew up with, you know, the, the the Christian influence is certainly strong, or it was strong. Um, nowadays, you do see. Th- things have changed a lot in the past twenty years from when I was in high school. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah, which leads, which which naturally, which naturally leads into some of our later discussions on First Amendment. And the First Amendment is one of our one of our most, I would say, precious amendments. You know, one of those that most people hold too dearly. It's you know the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, of the press, and the right to petition our government for grievances and. So we get into the establishment clause and the free exercise clauses. And the establishment clause basically, in a nutshell, says it prevents the government from establishing a religion, a national church. Unlike in England, you know, there's a lot of connections. But in the U.S., that's, you know, it's a separation of church and state, uh, which Jefferson paraphrased. And, you know, the, those, those terms came from Thomas Jefferson. And then the free, you know, the free exercise clause to where we should... You know, be able to exercise our religions freely, and I, e- even being a, a, an agnostic, I fully support the Establishment Clause and the Free Exercise Clause. I I think people should be able to you know exercise their religion as long as it doesn't violate constitutional rights of others within our society. Yeah, and and there and there are there are, have been a lot of cases in front of the Supreme Court because it's uh, the Supreme Court, and in that one uh, I I'm fascinated with. Uh, reading uh, Supreme Court rulings and findings, and th- there are a lot of them on the exercise clause. For, for example, there were one in the six, 60- there was one in the sixties, and I don't, I don't want to get too much into the details here, where it was Native Americans who worked at a a, re- a drug rehabilitation clinic, but as part of their religion, they would smoke peyote mm-hmm. at lunchtime, yeah, and they were terminated from their jobs and denied. Uh, I believe um, unemployment benefits because they were they were they were terminated for you know smoking peyote. Yeah, yeah. So you know where is that line? Yeah, it, it, you know on one extreme, you know the government can't get involved in how we exercise our religion. But in the other extreme, if our religion says that we need to sacrifice a child every third Monday of yeah, any there month, you and go in, right. How yeah. free?
1: Yeah, right. Where do you draw the line? Because that. That's just crazy, right? You know? And there, and there are, where are things you getting these kids from. There are things <laughs> you know,
0: where the government gets involved, and you know they have strict liability, and there has to be a compelling interest of, of either the state or the federal government. But uh, I I think it'd be very interesting to jump into that with uh, with somebody who you know is more of an expert on the First Amendment. You, do you, I believe it was the f- first case brought before the Supreme Court for um, establishment or free exercise. I think it was around 1872. It was against the Mormon church. Oh, what? <laughs> yeah. And there were a few of them. Um, it was polygamy. Oh, yes. I did hear about that. Yes. Yeah. So polygamy was, uh, and, and you know, it was one of the tenants. Uh, it was one of the allowed tenants of the Mormon church. The U.S. government and the states were very much against polygamy. So that one boiled to a head at the Supreme Court and the, the court ruled against the Mormon church and it created a lot of issues. There were a lot of appeals uh, and that oh, sure. it, it was a mess. And there's, 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 there's been quite a few uh, since, but these are the things that we're going to delve into in a little bit more detail when we get into this yeah, topic. Cool. Yeah.
1: What else are we going to delve into?
0: So, the, you know, sticking on the first amendment, I, I very much like the, uh, freedom of speech and expression clause of the first, Amendment, yeah. <laughs> which which really gets interesting in the twentieth century. So in the twentieth century, there was an explosion of of free speech, free expression, uh, Supreme Court cases. In the nineteenth century, there were there were some, but most of them seemed to revolve around religion. There were mm-hmm. there was a case where one of the I think it was a county, it was a city or as a county, and I'll uh, you know I have it in my notes, but I can I'll dig it out during the episode where blasphemy was illegal oh my god so that that was kind of a that was kind of a crossover between you know the exercise establishment clause and the free speech clause and obviously thankfully you know free speech won out in that case but in the 20th century there were there have been a significant number of freedom of speech and freedom of expression cases uh, in even in the early 21st century uh, that have reached the Supreme Court. Oh sure, and and, yeah. our, and they, you know, there's been a lot of shifts over time. You know, precedent changes on court rulings, but you know what constitutes fighting words. I think it was, uh, I think it was William O. Douglas, the Supreme Court justice. Uh, I I like his words, and you know, he said, "Freedom of speech has its most impactful moments." And I'm paraphrasing. I'm sorry. Um, when it it incites anger Hmm. because that is when it's really being utilized uh, to its fullest extent of that right yes (laughs) and there are things that we'll get into like the westboro baptist church who you miserable fucks you know (laughs) they they stand outside they've stood outside of uh you know iraq war um, soldiers who were killed in iraq and afghanistan and waving signs that say Thank God for dead soldiers and what? and there was a case where they were protesting outside of a uh, of a particular very unfortunate uh, soldier who had been killed and they were they were picketing outside of his his uh, funeral Gosh. and waving signs similar to that and it made it all the way to the Supreme Court the Supreme Court ruled in their favor these guys oh my god yeah but that's. Free speech, and if we want to enjoy that speech, we have to we have to accept boundaries, and we have to accept things that we may not want to hear. Um, and and freedom of speech, freedom of expression, uh, actually isn't one of our one of our enumerated rights in the Constitution. It's it's a penumbral right, and by penumbra, you know, penumbra is is that that gray area that exists between a source of darkness and a source of light. So. The, the way the Supreme Court works is they'll look and say, is this an implied right in the Constitution? And penumbral reason, reasoning goes into, uh, goes into effect at that point. So you know, freedom of expression is, is a penumbral right of freedom of speech. It's not just verbal speech. It's also sometimes uh, how we express ourselves is a form of speech. There was a, there was a case at, at a school in the 60s where they wore uh, black armbands as a protest to the Vietnam War and when they were told to take off the bands, they resisted and it led into court cases and it went all the way up to the supreme court and they ruled in favor of the students um this carries on into the 21st century where colin kaepernick the quarterback of the 49ers that's and, right yeah uh you know was really getting slammed for kneeling at the national anthem which um has expanded quite a bit and it's you know it's not necessarily kneeling out of disrespect of the country in general but out of some of the laws that that we think uh, should be changed in order to make our society a better place for and a more inclusive society for everyone. So, yeah, I want to get into some of those topics on, uh, you know, what what does it mean to have free speech, free expression? How has that uh, right, that individual right, evolved over time? Um, And where do we stand today? And that's awesome.
1: I want to, like, say with these people that are like, God says this, God says that please do yourself a favor and just replace the word God with I. And that's it. You hate blah, blah, blah. You are the one.
0: I don't think that's God. <laughs> yeah, right. No, no. I think in a lot of cases like that, God is the justification that helps them rationalize their own hatred.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, hate you know it's been it's come up a couple times you know i I brought it up earlier with the roger stone thing and you know we were talking about donald trump and like this thing but like
0: yeah it's weird (laughs) so we're going to go from the first amendment uh figured another controversial sometimes controversial amendment is the second amendment so 27 words and and please tell me because uh I, i know you know yeah so so 27 words uh the second amendment to the u.s constitution it's it's a very short abbreviated um, right that we have in our Bill of Rights and it's also one of the more confusing there's a goddamn comma in there um, that got put in between the time Madison wrote it and the time that it was um, that, that it was approved that the Bill of Rights uh, were approved that really just screws things up and th- there's been a couple things in the Second Amendment So the, the Second Amendment is our is our uh, the government shall not, Uh, infringe upon our right to bear arms and uh, the the second amendment starts off with a well-regulated militia you know the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed so when you read it it makes no sense it's confusing the original intent is quite clear if you look back at the conditions that existed in the colonies even back to the to the albany congress in 1754 i probably got that year wrong professor freeman i apologize um, but I believe the Albany Congress in 1754 to when uh, the, the, the individual colonial militias started to form a continental army in 1775 to, uh, to, to fight the British. W- one of the biggest fears was of a strong federal government. So that was, that was a huge fear of the colonies all the way through, even, even through uh, the Constitutional Convention, is the anti-federalists. They, they weren't against, you know, the, anti, the anti-federalists get a bad rap. They, they weren't necessarily against having a constitution or having individual liberties or having civil, you know, civil liberties. One of the things they were against is they, they didn't want the states to lose too much power to a centralized federal government. And a, a core part of that was the right of the states to maintain well-regulated militias for their own defense and for the people of their state to bear arms as they saw necessary they didn't want that being stripped away from them and everything included into a central government which could then lead to tyranny so tyranny is a huge word in the late 18th century anybody that was an anti-federalist overused the hell out of the word tyranny so the second amendment basically said that the federal government in a nutshell couldn't strip the states away from their rights of regulating arms the states themselves did regulate arms so a lot of the states had laws in effect for decades and I think it was it might have been Rhode Island that said their citizens could have weapons but they couldn't have the, the ball and powder that went with those weapons. Mm-hmm. Those were controlled by the state. Um, so they
1: were like ready for action, but when the state said it was okay. Yes,
0: and that's what the states were primarily concerned in is, is they wanted to be able to control this. So prior to, even prior to the Continental Congress, the, the individual colonies, the 13 colonies that you know, we're, we're taught so little about when we're in our public education, they knew far more about what was going on in England than they did in what was going on in the other colonies. So the first time in the first Continental Congress, when the representatives from the individual colonies met for the first time, most of them knew nothing about the other states. Wow! They, In fact, John Adams had written that they considered themselves to be ambassadors. It was like visiting a new country for the first time. Wow! So the states, even Jefferson, even after... Even after the Constitution was ratified, Jefferson made m- multiple references to his, um, his mother country, his, he, 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 from his country of Virginia. So the, the individual states considered themselves to be individual countries. So they wanted to maintain that right. to. They didn't want that right stripped away from them. Mm-hmm. The United States operated under that, and, and that's what's called the collective right. So collectively, Americans have a right to bear arms. That doesn't mean individually, it means collectively. And that collective is controlled and regulated by the states. That carried on pretty much that way all the way through the Civil War. And then the 14th Amendment was ratified. And it was ratified in, it was either 1868 or 1869 that the 14th Amendment was ratified. One of the things that the 14th Amendment did is it imposed the Bill of Rights on the states. So the Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Most of the states, especially the southern states, considered the Bill of Rights to only be a limitation on federal power, not state power. So while the federal government could not infringe upon free speech or freedom of press or establishment or exercise, states could. a lot of the states felt like they could. That was clarified. The, 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 the 14th Amendment was one of the Reconstruction Amendments after the Civil War. So it happened three or four years. It was ratified three or four years after the Civil War. And it imposed the Bill of Rights upon the states. What that did was, and I, I'm, I'm trying to get a, a law professor on the Second Amendment to join us for this conversation. Heck yeah. But what that did was it inadvertently stripped the states away from their right to regulate their own citizenry, oh wow, with arms gave it to the federal because the it didn't even give it to the federal. The Second Amendment already prohibited the federal government from doing it, but when they imposed that upon the states, the states then lost that right. Now they continued to do so for well over a hundred years, and that carried on through the twentieth century and you know most of the cases because it was our what we call conventional wisdom, um, you know, our, basically the culture is, yeah, it's our state, our state can do, you know, they can regulate, that's, but in 2008, Whoa. there was a case in it's front of the Supreme ago. Court, that's right, the Heller case, uh, Supreme Court case that hit in front of the Supreme Court, ended to a, uh, a highly conservative Supreme Court, and they ruled that the Second Amendment was more of an individual right than a collective right. So for the first time in almost 150 years, uh, 130 years, you saw a shift in the Second Amendment from a collective right to an individual right, which really radically changed. Is different than what was the original intent of our founders? Oh, absolutely. Now anybody can just collect a whole shit ton of guns, and so that's where it comes in. Is where's that limitation? I had a I had a, a colleague. Um, it was, I can't remember. if He was in South Carolina or North Carolina, and we had this conversation over lunch one time. And he he had this was a you know we talked about a knowledge deficit versus motivated reasoning with him. It was definitely a knowledge deficit because I asked him if he understood. Uh, the the background of the Second Amendment from the Albany Congress to the founding of the Continental um, Army in 1775. And he knew none of that. And his belief, though, was the Second Amendment is an individual right. And his definition of arms was basically anything up to a thermonuclear device. Wow. So my question to him was, if your neighbor had a, th- a thermobaric bomb in his garage or a 155 millimeter howitzer, would you consider that an arm? And he would have a right to that. And it was absolutely yes. Yeah. And that was where my brain went to as like, you have a significant knowledge deficit.
1: Yeah. That's crazy. So, so there are still, I'm sorry,
0: but that's yeah. like way too much. <laughs> yes. And the Supreme court in, in, in their, in their defense, I don't believe, you know, Supreme courts and their judges tend not, they, they tend not to rule uh, in line with their political affiliation, uh, we, you know, I don't. I, I should. I was going to say we on the law side, but I don't have a law degree. Uh, but you know, lawyers and people such as myself who have have studied it to some extent will say that the you know, the judges rise to the level of the robe. I've heard this. Yeah. So they will rule based on what they think is the correct interpretation of the Constitution of the laws. Yeah, they're in it for they're, life. They're you know? in it for So
1: once they're there, they don't have to necessarily they don't adhere pander. to yeah, one political agenda or whatever. No, yeah, no, they're no pandering, like you said. Yeah.
0: Now they may have beliefs and their beliefs are one way or the other, and which again it goes back to objective, subjective, where did that belief come from? What was the origin? Was it you know was it preteen? Blah blah blah. It gets really deep. And you know, is that what you learned from your parents and your grandparents, or is that something that you came to later? But ir- irregardless. that's where we stand at today and there are still states that regulate and it's been accepted for one reason or another semi ar-15s you know semi-automatic ar-15s in some states you know they're still legal fully automatic weapons are not legal so you know the, the supreme court when they when they made that ruling in heller they did state that an individual right does not equate to an unlimited right so there are hmm. limits. Mm-hmm. Where those limits are is a huge gray area. Absolutely. It's a source of oh, debate yeah. today. And I, I just think it would be a fascinating topic to, some, to discuss with somebody who has far more experience on this than, than we do. Absolutely. So what else are we going to discuss? Yeah, heck yeah. Well, we yeah. discussed red pill, blue pill. We've already done that one. What else uh, we got on the list? We have climate change climate change okay and i think climate change also falls straight into that knowledge deficit and motivated versus motivated reasoning oh yeah uh, issue (laughs) it's like well there's nothing i can do about it i'm going to stick my fingers in my ears and la 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 or it's it's yes climate is changing but it's not man-made it's a natural cycle or those that say oh it's not changing at all i find it's very
1: hard to argue with so like a human being generates heat itself you know it's it's BTUs, you know, right? Like It's the Matrix. The Matrix, yeah. But, even, you know, even beyond that. So you got the human being, it's generating heat, blah, blah, blah. It's fine. It's normal. But modern human beings have electricity, and they have Wi-Fi, and they have internet, and they have running water, and they have cars, um, and they have goods shipped to them, and they have goods shipped out, and they go to the grocery store that have goods. Like, there's so much more... Energy that goes into being a a modern human being than there was like from a hunter-gatherer human being And it seems to me there's evidence all over the place with the electricity that runs through the wire that generates heat from the friction of the wire and the coal that Is burned to generate heat to generate steam To power the electricity that comes to our lights like all the stuff is generating heat and there are, we looked it up the other day, like how many billions of people on the planet, and we're almost all now modernized. Of like, I mean, laws of thermodynamics, like it's, it's, there's no question that human beings have an influence on the earth, you know? We do. Uh, and mm-hmm.
0: we do. And, we're going to pause this for five minutes and get right into that all right, all right. yeah let's go tinkle okay. yeah like <laughs> all right we're back already we're already recording so yeah. super sweet yeah oh. now just carrying on and yeah sorry that we had had to go the, tinkle the guinness sneaks up on us really mm-hmm, fast so. mm-hmm. the you know, one of the things that we we point to and this is a, a challenge and so we mentioned it and we mentioned it to uh to one of our to our guest in in the god episode when I asked him, does he care or does he have any concerns about climate change? And the response is kind of scary in this side. And this is where the young creationist, or some, I guess I think more of the, you know, the 24 percent that or 13 percent that believe along the lines that he does is his response was, no, he doesn't care about climate change because he thinks this is the last generation of man on earth. In which case it's like, OK, well, I can't have this conversation with you. And yeah, I have Another friend who um, I pointed this fact out to was if we do ice core samples and look at the level of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere from 800,000 years ago to 175 years ago, it would vary between roughly 160 parts per million to 230 parts per million consistently over that period of time. In 1850-ish, middle of the 19th century, we had the Industrial Revolution. We started pumping out fossil fuels. Uh, we started you know, burning the fossil fuels, and the population population at the beginning of the 20th century was like around one and a half billion people. Yeah, we're at 7.8. 7.8. Yeah. Fossil fuel burning has been a foundation of that boom that we've had in our society, and and the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has gone from. It, roughly 200 to 230 parts per million in 1850 to around 418 today so higher than it's been in the previous 800,000 years so to say that there is no man-made impact oh, just, on on warming is n- is mind-blowing and no that doesn't
1: that's just ignorant and <laughs> if we
0: want to look at a sample if we want to look at an example so let me ask you a question i'm i'm you know I'm, I'm, I'm gonna challenge a yeah so we have eight planets in our solar system. Yeah, Pluto's not a planet anymore. Pluto's not a planet anymore. No, yeah. it's not. No, so <laughs> if if you're if you're a uh, Pluto planetarian, you know, sorry, embrace the suck and move on. It's not a planet <laughs> anymore. What planet is the hottest planet in our solar system? I mean, you'd guess Mercury, but is it actually Venus? It's actually Venus. Yeah, <laughs> and Venus is around thirty million miles further away from the sun. And the reason that venus is the hottest planet in our solar system is because all of its carbon dioxide is released into the atmosphere what's staggering about venus is that the temperature on the sun facing side of venus is the same as the temperature of the dark side of venus there is no variation wow it's because carbon dioxide is so efficient at holding and retaining heat that it's basically the entire planet sits around 875 degrees Fahrenheit wow. at all times. Wow! Hotter than Mercury. Mm-hmm. And this is an example of when climate scientists look of worst case scenarios. Because we have things, there's, I don't know if you've heard of the permafrost in Canada and Alaska. And how it's been melting. So the permafrost is basically, it's uh, it's the layer of ice that covers fossilized vegetation that's been under there for since the last ice age, vegetation over ten thousand years ago. Who knows ago. what else? What? Oh, yeah, yeah. Dinosaurs coming up. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> well, I mean, but, not a dinosaur's,
1: but they that that permafrost could be, you know, harboring. Earth's virus to like, whoa, you guys have really uh, lost control here. So we need to lower your numbers. So, you know, here's a prehistoric virus for you, or, or who knows what. You here's know, COVID know. one. COVID you one. Know?
0: Whatever happened to COVID one? We're on 19. Yeah. Uh, I remember Y2K one. Oh, yeah. I remember Y2K. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but as that vegetation defrosts, as that ice melts and the vegetation, def- vegetation. Decays. Yeah, it begins decaying and it releases all of its carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And there is a the scientific turn is a shit ton full of it up there. So you know they they worry about thermal runaway, and they're not doing this because they have an ulterior motive and they're against you know big oil and no, and and fossil kind of, fuels. Kind of problem solve here. They're trying to problem solve, and if you know you hit that runaway effect, and that's what happened to Venus is as carbon dioxide gets Put into the atmosphere, it retains more heat. Things heat up at a faster rate, which means things melt faster, which means more carbon dioxide. You end up with a snowball effect. There's also anaerobic decay. There's microorganisms at the bottom. So our, you know, our 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 tidal stream, um, it, it operates on the principle is that there's areas where water is colder than other areas, which creates the flow of the oceans. And as the water circulates from the top of the ocean to the bottom of the ocean, it carries oxygen with it. And there are countless trillions of microorganisms down there that feed off that oxygen. And as that water imbalance, that temperature imbalance shifts towards neutral, then the oxygen isn't carried down as efficiently. Those organisms start to to die. They start to decay. That anaerobic gas floats to the surface and releases well, more yeah. carbon dioxide. <laughs> so the whole thing. So this is the you know this is the concern on climate change on you know there, it, again it's one of those things where we talked about on you know religion with you know where does physics and biology and all that play and people like looking for they they like avoiding the complex scenario and it's there's a lot of complexity in climate change and you have to have a basic understanding of chemistry and particle physics and and people don't want to i mean it's too much well and to, provide,
1: to provide a little hope um you know I, I have read some things about uh here i go talking about reading and I, one of the last episodes I was, I was foolishly saying like i don't really read <laughs> <laughs> um but there are people out there that are into chemistry and are into biophysics and physics that are developing solutions potentially to these problems like you know some of these uh salt crystals that can uh they're essentially like carbon sinks you know they can absorb carbon dioxide from out of an environment and it fits within the geometric molecular structure of the particle and it can you know suck up to like i'd be pulling stuff out of my ass like all the carbon out of like a 10 foot radius, we'll say, you know, or some, some amount. Um, And uh, it's like a little salt particle that they can put over foundries or, you know, even uh, just, just have available in an area that just sucks the, the carbon out. And then you can bury it, um, and it creates a carbon sink, um, but there's consequences to that too. Where, like, if you create too many of these salt particles, like, you need some carbon.
0: Oh no, um, we, we need to yeah. find that balance, and that's yeah. that's that's one of the things that climate scientists are trying to do is to is to reestablish the the balance. The the best carbon sinks that we have out there in the world today are trees, and that's one of the problems that we have is you know rainforests are disappearing at an ever increasing rate. And the more people there are on the planet, the faster you know those sinks disappear. And this is the other thing that people don't understand: the difference between a source and a sink. Mm, yes. Where a source is what's generating the carbon dioxide, a sink is what's pulling it out of the atmosphere. For hundreds of millions and billions of years, um, or hundreds of millions, we should say there was a, there was equilibrium at many times in life. You know, originally there was no oxygen in the atmosphere anyway. It was mostly carbon dioxide, but plants breathe carbon dioxide, life generated and put the oxygen into the atmosphere. But, you know, eventually the planet establishes equilibrium and the amount of carbon dioxide that's put into the atmosphere is offset by the sinks that breathe that carbon dioxide like the like trees and replace and trees, it with yeah. oxygen. Mm-hmm. So that that's the concern is, is really around the balance and you know i'd like to say i'm a tree hugger i i am i'm not one of these people that's going to go out and chain myself to a tree in in front of a bulldozer (laughs) but you know we it's basically having an understanding of and an appreciation for the balance of all things the yin and the yang and you know if if we take something away we need to put something back and as a species we're really bad about doing that and it's also one of the things in the past that's pissed me off about religion is there are some religions and some denominations that feel that they have manifest destiny where god said that you shall rule over all things in life and that there's nothing we can do wrong because if we fuck it up, God's going to fix it anyway. Oh, no, that's um, not a good thing to... It's not a good thing. I, I saw a bumper stick. It's, well, it's,
1: like, it's like a good It's like, whoa, that, that feels good. You know, no consequences, right? But the reality might be that there are consequences. And so. Yeah. And, maybe... if, you believe, and
0: if, if you believe in God, and if I did believe in a God, I would believe in a God that said, you have responsibility placed upon you i'm not bailing you out and you know with great
1: power comes great responsibility yes yes, yeah you have
0: free will and i'm expecting you to do the right thing i saw a bumper sticker the other day and it didn't piss me off because i i don't i tend really not to get emotional about these kind of arguments i like i like to have these debates rationally and reasonably But but you noticed something i noticed something and it was just more of a there you go kind of an example and it was obviously from somebody who was very religious and the bumper sticker said prayer is the greatest power against evil. And mm-hmm. it's not because prayer is you putting that pressure on somebody else to fix your problems for you. It's like the, the biggest power we have today against evil is for us to... And if I was God, which I'm not, but if I, if I had a God... That God would be looking down and saying, if you got something that's messed up in your society and it's evil, get off your lazy asses and fix it yourself. Yeah, yeah. And don't just sit there and throw it at me and say, oh, I'm going to pray to God to fix it for me. Because that's exactly what that bumper sticker was saying. It was like, there's evil in the world. Nothing I can do about it. I'm just a human. So I'm just going to, I'm going to crouch down on my knees in the corner of my house and pray to God all day to fix it for us. And God's probably up there going, get off your ass, (laughs) go do something about it. So and it's the same thing. don't know that with climate change. We don't know that. But we climate don't. change, but.
1: and and climate, it, it, just anything that revolves around physics, uh, you know that that's something that can be observed and tested and 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 is a lot more tangible. Um, I myself, just pure layman, can look outside and say, like, hey, I remember when you know summer happened a little bit earlier in the year by you know a few days or a week or. You you kind of notice these like shifts, and there are ways that people try and describe it like, oh, it's an El Nino or an El Nina or whatever. And just uh, maybe, you know, maybe, but.
0: uh... Well, some of it (laughs) is the way of our brains trying to simplify things. There there are a lot of people in the world today that don't understand the difference between climate and weather. Oh, yeah. Weather is a short term effect, climate is a long term effect. I I had this conversation. Uh, with a friend um, who doesn't believe in evolution and we were going back and forth and he he pointed out the the ridiculous arguments that some biologists have made by pointing to adaptation that we see every day and he was like that's not evolution that's adaptation and I just went back to him and I said that's because you don't understand the difference or the interrelationship between adaptation and evolution Adaptation is short-term, evolution is long-term, multiple adaptations over time uh, result in evolution. So there, there are connections there, but you know, we try to oversimplify things and uh, you know, climate change is one of those things. There's also, there's also the psychological effect where you know, people don't necessarily want to pay, have short-term consequences for long-term effects. You know, they, oh, sure. they, they they don't want to be troubled today for something that's, uh, you know, they're not going to reap benefits for generations to come. But, okay, yeah, natural, human, psychologically flawed lack of forward thinking uh, ideology. But I care about my kids and my grandkids. There you go. So, yeah. I you know.
1: Or how about like, uh, yeah, not only caring about your kids and your grandkids. Like, uh, I, I care about, this is where I'll go like a little bit towards the, the side of like religious people what about my immortal soul you know what if i'm going to be born again into this, into same this world, world yes again yeah. and i left it shittier than i left it before or did i leave it better
0: than i left it before and that's part of the thing too as <laughs> i have this thing where i like leaving a place a little bit better or when i leave it than it Absolutely. was when i got there so i just i we all need you posted i i try to stay away from social media as much as possible, but you posted a uh, statement probably like two or three years ago that I still remember. And it was talking about climate change and renewable energy. And it was like, so we spend a little bit more money today to develop clean energy. Um, in the future, we find out we're all wrong. The The worst case scenario is that stuck. We're, we're stuck with cheaper energy and clean air. Oh yeah. And yeah. <laughs> so it's, it really is it's a long term win win it's kind of like a Pascal's
1: wager on climate change
0: maybe you know like
1: instead of like oh I'm gonna believe in god i'm gonna believe that like hey maybe i should you know
0: believe in climate change
1: yeah just like, and like use a little less water when i wash my hands or you know like little small
0: things everybody makes a small sacrifice and i'll, then the I'll even debate
1: it. sometimes too you know like you know when you go to the bathroom you know it's like should, should i use paper towel or should i use the the electricity blower you know which yeah. one's more dramatic of an impact on
0: the environment <laughs> right and you know there's also the argument on yeah you know, i have friends <laughs> who will argue with me and you know call me a dumbass because i don't drive an electric car but i don't drive much I, I work from home so i i i don't put many miles on a on a fossil fuel burning vehicle at all year round And the one i the car i do have is fairly fuel efficient but you know they will say there's no reason for me to get an electric car. It's stupid because we're just increasing the amount of energy that's needed to charge those electric vehicles and all of that's fossil fuels anyway. So we're we're basically just defeating the purpose and and my point to them is like so then why do you support Fossil fuel burning energy yeah. plants. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's like why don't we just get past that and work more towards renewable energy plants providing electricity to clean vehicles? Well, and, observe, and then you don't have that. Yeah,
1: observe too how technology does improve. You know, over and gets more and more efficient over time, and it requires being believed and invested in in order for it to
0: do that. So that's climate change. We'll, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll touch on that. I think the next one. And I don't know when we're going to do it. it. It might be fun. And that's conspiracy theories. Oh, yeah. That's where the imagination really thrives.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I love the imagination.
0: So we'll probably do an episode where you know, we talk about the psychology behind conspiracy theories. Um, you know, what leads people to uh, really gravitate towards conspiracy theories. And then kind of like we're doing here, just touch upon some of the more prevalent, you know, from the historical aspect. I mean, conspiracy theories, uh, you can see them in history. They go back you know, thousands of years. There haven't been a lot of studies that I can find on, you know, how those have increased over time. Um, Obviously, for me, they're going to increase probably in the direct proportion to the population. But, you, you know, just probably going back to things like, the moon landing conspiracy theories some of the bigger ones of all time John F Kennedy uh, oh, sure. assassination yeah. and Marilyn Monroe and dark side of the moon yeah. <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> and getting into a lot of the more recent conspiracy theories that are just absolutely batshit crazy the you know the jewish lasers starting forest fires and q QAnon and pizzagate and lizard people and
1: i'm sorry i have to admit too i i love entertaining these ideas i don't know if they're true or not but it's like whoa like tell me more
0: right (laughs) we all we all as a species like conspiracy theories because we like to think that we know information that other people don't know it that elevates us that elevates elevates us it makes us special and you know i've broken down conspiracy theories into several different groups of you know types of conspiracy theories so um we'll 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 get into that i'm i'm trying to line up a few guests who have written some books on it who have spent a lot of time studying it uh, especially the psychology behind it cool and also some of the some of the lines because one of the questions that um tina had brought up to me actually which i couldn't answer and it's quite interesting and i've been thinking about it a little bit probably not as much as i should have because we've been working on other episodes but you know where's the line drawing conspiracy theories like is alien abduction a conspiracy theory Hmm. or is that you know just a a belief system
1: so i you know i've wondered that too you know like you see these shows like ancient aliens and you know i've kind of called out passionately in the moment as i'm watching this show like you watch you know this is going to be the next religion you know oh these are the people you know instead of talking to god they're the ones that can talk to the aliens you know and they have the answers you know or they have access to this magic technology you know or something like that and, or 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 ancient alien artifacts or something you know i mean all these fanatic groups that could develop around that whether they're real or not.
0: I have this, (laughs) I have this thing. I'm trying to, I'm still trying to formulate the, the thought process in my head. And that's not an easy ask, but if say, say we went back and this is kind of on a belief system and Mm -hmm. you talk about aliens, but also religion. Yeah. But one of my thoughts was, is what if we went and found a remote Island in the Southwest Pacific somewhere? And I don't know, like off the coast of Papua New Guinea and, there, there were several indigenous tribes, and one day we dropped off a case of DC comic books on one side and and Marvel comic books on the other. Wow! And then left. Yeah. And then went back in a hundred years. So <laughs> See what happened? My theory is in a hundred years they'd be killing each other over their holy scriptures, and one side would be saying, you know, Superman is a false god, Batman is the devil. And wouldn't kill that them be all. something?
1: I mean, like, right, like. What if what if some like other civilization, you know, what if one of their billionaires, you know, escapes their planet with one of their UFOs and does exactly that? You know, it's just like this prankster and you know, who knows? There's so many
0: possibilities out there. Oh my god. <laughs> but it would be it wouldn't be that. It would be, you know, Superman was God, Batman was was Satan, and they'd be killing each other. Yeah. yeah? yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Iron Man is a false prophet, you know. Down, down with, down with the seductress Black Widow. <laughs> <laughs> down with the seductress. Oh, the, the great bamboozler Loki. <laughs> it, yeah. It's exactly what it would be, and it's no different than a lot of religions today and how they form. But it's that belief system, and where we get into that conspiracy theories kind of follow suit to some extent. Well, yeah, it's kind
1: of like something I was like trying to touch on earlier, like how we, <laughs> we as like a people like want to believe lies like it's so much easier to believe lies than truth like in so many times when i've like been speaking truth to people i've been just amazed at the amount of resistance i get off of some of like the smallest most inconvenient truths and then like when you say a lie it's just like oh yeah cool you know yeah oh let's talk about that
0: and just Spread that word. <laughs> so I worked. I worked right out of my when I got my first degree. I, I went. I went to work for the superconducting super collider, uh, which is a. It's a particle. It was a particle accelerator. It's so cool. And you know, it was a fifty-four mile, fifty-two mile underground tunnel in Waxahachie. and that was the primary principle really they were looking for you know the Higgs boson particle at the time the God particle yeah excuse me they call it the God particle because theoretically at the time the Higgs boson particle was what gave gives us mass Mm. so Mm -hmm. they called it you know mass catholic church the God particle Mm. they've since discovered it they discovered it in uh at CERN laboratories over in France Switzerland um Seven years ago, eight years ago, ten years ago, but fuck, I lost my train of thought. Oh, oh my god! No, <laughs> there was a so it's a particle accelerator. It was basically a fifty-two mile ring of magnets that accelerated electrons to nearly the speed of light and then collided them together to see what happened. What happened? What broke apart? The the rumor spread where they were building this that we were building a nuclear fission. Uh, device or reading these rumors there were going there there was the possibility and and i remember having this conversation with some people one day that were there were residents and they were scared and they didn't understand and that you know i one of my purposes in life we discussed this last week is you know try to to be a source of encouragement rather than doubt and of hope rather than sorrow so i was i was trying to exercise that it was like no you have nothing to worry about here's what it is you know we're accelerating particles they collide you know what about this thing i read where there could be black holes created i heard that too yeah yeah yeah, it's possible i mean physically theoretically it's possible but they're microscopic to a scale that you cannot even imagine and they wink out of existence almost as fast as they were created because they're not self-sustaining and it was like, well, what about possibility of, you know, like an atomic bomb going off and blah. And I, and I kept trying. To, and the more I tried to explain to you, you could see I was doing a miserable job. <laughs> the more they were becoming convinced that there was going to be a 50 megaton explosion the, in Waxahachie, Texas. Yeah. And I think it finally evolved down to is like, you know what? I could be wrong. The shit might just go blow, yeah, blow yeah, the hell you up. You might be and, right, fella. But, and they're uh... like, and it's like, you know what? <laughs> There might be a mushroom cloud over Waxahachie one day and they're like, see, I told you. <laughs> and so, I mean, it's, you, you could not talk them out of that argument. And it's, it's like conspiracy theories. The more evidence you show them. There was a guy who, who had called in and there was a, so there's a podcast that I love promoting another podcast, which is Star Talk Radio. And he is an absolute disbeliever with his little coalition on the moon landings. And the question to him was, what evidence would it take to get you to believe that the moon landings actually happened? Wow. And he That's said, so funny. he said, I need to see evidence oh my God. Of, the, of the equipment that was there, oh of the flag God. or whatever, which we didn't have at the time. What's so funny is like, I take an opposite argument. I'm like, oh, no, the
1: second they landed on the moon, if that was when it was they started building cities on the dark side where you can't see. Like, there's a whole fucking thing happening back there, you know? Like, why are you even debating that we landed on the moon? Of course we landed on the moon. Like, you know, like...
0: Yeah. So, so you know, that was that was his response. We didn't have that capability at the time, but it was, you know, a few years back, NASA had actually sent an orbiter around the moon... With a much more detailed, high resolution, longer range camera, it was taking pictures and you could see the debris that was left behind from the landing. You oh, could yeah. see tracks. It was very impressive and it's on Google. You can go out and you can look at it now and you can find that. They contacted this gentleman and his group and they're like, You asked for it years ago. Here's the new information that we have. And they were like, Oh. And they started going through all the pictures. You could, I mean, it was quite obvious. And then somebody asked, it was like, well, where'd you get this? NASA sent up this satellite and they gave them the mission name, the dates, when it went. And they're like, oh, that's from NASA. So, oh, so we're going to discredit this all, that. This is all made up. Oh, and they're no, like, no. So on to the next conspiracy theory. Hmm. So you were never just—you never going to be able to use logic and reason to convince somebody out of, an, out of an argument that they're not using logic and reason to get into in the first place.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's pure... They're wanting to bet on hunchism, you know, like like on their hunch, right? You know, like oh no, I believe in this, so it must be true, and yeah, it, it fits in with their narrative of NASA discreditable, so therefore I had a conversation with flat earther on this once. Hmm. Yeah. I'd see, which I see. I don't know if flat earthers exist.
0: They do. Yeah. I, I don't know if they're real or not. I don't know. If, I don't know if they really believe it yeah. or if they like. Yeah. Thinking never, I, or just like believing it to be different—the shock value.
1: Yeah, I've never met once. Well, so what? What happened?
0: So I use this. the standard arguments. Of you know, at first I start trying to get into Aristotle's, who was a was a was a Greek mathematician. He proved the fucking world was round, 2,500 years ago, 2,300 years ago, using two goddamn sticks, and it was simple. I mean, it's simple geometry, and it shows it. That blew the mind. It's like I don't understand that. You know, I uh, yeah. You could tell that was I was talking to people that had a you know basic pre-algebra level mathematical education. So I was like, all right, I'm stopping that. Yeah. What about the pictures from people on top of Mount Everest or K two where you can see, see the, curvature the curvature of the world? Mm. Well, that was just photogenic errors. Yeah. In the camera. Okay, well, what about when a ship in the old world, the old world quotations, when the indigenous people would see a ship sailing towards the horizon? And at first they thought it was clouds because the first thing you see is the top of the mast. Then you see more of the sails. Then you see the hull of the ship. Or when a ship goes away, it doesn't just disappear and drop off the horizon. It It gradually goes, it gradually disappears as it goes around the curvature of the earth. Yeah. There is a justification for everything. Wow! It's yeah. so, but I'm with you on the on the flirthers, the flat yeah. earthers. Yeah, it's. I really, it's hard to tell. I really don't know if they believe it or if they want to. They tell themselves to believe it because it makes them different. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe that there's probably a percentage of of that. Believe it all you want. I don't care. You know, the mafia was involved or the CIA was involved. Aliens were involved. I don't care. Yeah. Don't go out and kill people over it. Nobody did. But (laughs) the the conspiracy theories today seem to lead people towards that choice of, I can be righteous by going and killing. Yeah. I want to try to, uh, people say that Hillary Clinton and, and her cabal will drink the blood of children. And it's, it's ridiculous it's pretty wild um especially with uh need some evidence right i mean give me something <laughs> okay off conspiracy theories some of the other topics that we have um, national security versus civil liberty civil, libra- <laughs> civil liberties uh so that's a big one the, the one that i'm i'm kind of looking forward to and we may bump it up because it's just because we can it's and it's a fun conversation is um artificial intelligence and other existential threats Mm -hmm. that could be out there i love that paperclip robot the paperclip robot yeah Yeah. (laughs) i heard that on um i'll have i'll have his i'll have his name it's 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 josh the same i remember his name josh because it's my son's name but uh he also does the um stuff you should know podcast which is an awesome podcast because they go into stuff you should know about just all kind of stupid shit but it's fascinating And he did one on existential threats where he was talking about, you know, imagine a machine that reaches singularity of, um, you know, consciousness and can improve and and its only function. It's kind of like the butter robot, you know, Rick and Morty. What's my purpose? (laughs) Yeah. Pass the butter. butter. Oh, my God.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, So the paperclip robot.
0: (laughs) It's only purpose in life was to, you know, make the better paperclip. And then it reaches a singularity. It starts to grow in intelligence and it ends up enslaving humanity and the next thing you know it's building rocket ships and because that's what will make better paper clips to find more sources of energy to build better paper clips yeah so you know <laughs> that that could be the next butterbot. <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, no <laughs> i'll go <laughs> i'll go through some of the others just are we quick, butterbots? <laughs> we, yeah we could be butterbots. i mean we could be a historical simulation where people are just like uh, what if I throw this profit in 2000 years ago? Let's see how society goes all haywire. And that's, <laughs> and that's it, you know, and he's going to he's going to delete us, terminate and delete our program before long and then go on a different route. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's a fun ride. It's a fun ride. Just enjoy the ride because you can't <laughs> you can't do anything about it. And you, there's no way to know the difference. <laughs> so, um, War on drugs and the legislation for the war on drugs. Oh, um, yeah. Capital punishment this ties into religion too capital punishment is kind of interesting yeah uh
1: yeah and it does kind of tie into religion right you know because like one of the thoughts that i've had for quest like why to question capital punishment right you know because like somebody say for example somebody's like a horrible murder rapist and it's just like they're the worst and you catch them and well you got to You got to kill them, right? You know, we don't want them to siphon off the government's dime. We don't want to pay for their their stuff. We want that person out of society.
0: They're never going to be.
1: Yeah. But like, well, what if that person has an immortal soul and their energy is that terrible energy? Do you want them to pass into the next life or do you want to keep them in prison for a while, you know, so that... The good souls can live and die and be born into the next life. And this person is serving prison sentences, you know, or whatever. I know that it's up for philosophical debate.
0: Well, it's it's up for a philosophical debate, but it also gets. So, you know, one of my conversations I had with somebody uh, a few weeks ago or, you know, you're you're too. I was being accused of being too close minded. Who was? Me, yeah, yeah. Me. Okay. So yeah. I was, and it's like you're you're not willing to change your mind. It's like it's because you have a snap. You've known me for six months, and you have a six month snapshot of me. If you mm-hmm. have a thirty mm-hmm. year snapshot of me, I, I it's completely different. So when I was younger, I was adamantly opposed to capital punishment, mm-hmm. and the reason I was opposed is because I always said humans did not have a right to play God, and it is not our place to judge. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, that it you put them in prison. They die. God judges them. It's not our place to accelerate their path to God. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. So that was my argument when I was younger, and I was a little bit more devout in my faith. As that faith started to wane, you know, I eventually reached a point where I became very pro capital punishment, mm-hmm. and it was along those lines. It was the person's guilty. They killed some kids, you know, especially if it was kids, um, you know, that's that's it. Be done with it. You know, mm-hmm. Take them out back, put them on a pole, shoot them. They serve, they have no purpose. They have no value to society. And I don't want to have my tax dollars going to uh, supporting their existence of watching HBO every day for the next 52 years. Right. Yeah. Um, as I got even older, I've become less supportive of capital punishment, but it's more on a process level mm-hmm. with DNA evidence, uh, with understanding. The interrogation methods of police, uh, the motivations yeah. of prosecuting attorneys, the lack of uh, ability of prosecuting prosecuting attorneys to admit that they're wrong and to double down on their theories, even when they're shown evidence that could show them that they're wrong. And just the sheer number of people who have spent, unfortunately, years or decades of their lives in prison only to find out that they were innocent all yeah, along. falsely accused. Falsely accused. I really started to question capital punishment again. And it's like, what if we had just killed that person? And then 20 years later, somebody comes up and says, Hey, we have DNA, DNA evidence. They weren't there. It was this person over here. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens a lot nowadays. So yeah, you, I've right co- hope for those that are falsely accused. So I, you know, I've gone back and forth in my beliefs on capital punishment and it's all based on, you know, it started off as a, um, started off as, you know, based on my religious ideology and philosophy, And since then, it's been you know more of a a logic process based philosophy. But you know I've gone, you know yeah I've, I've flip flopped, but it's been over three decades. You know, it's so funny too. That term
1: "flip flop." You know, I remember for a while was used as a term to like kind of put down people oh, politically. It was, you know, it was like, oh, they're a flip flopper. You know, yeah. they don't have their own. John Kerry was cons- was uh, they used yeah, the term flip flopper all the yeah, time. It's like this negative term. You know, oh you flip flop and stuff. You know, it's just like, but that propagated an idea that like when you say that you believe in something, you have to. Keep your foot down and, and, and stay true, because otherwise you'd be a flip-flopper. You know, even if you were right or wrong, it didn't yeah. matter. You had to take a position and that was it. Yeah, never change. Yeah, if you're hitting, a flip flopper, well then you were just ostracized from the conversation. You right. know, you couldn't be trusted for anything.
0: Well, in fact, we want more flip floppers. We want people who will be we willing do. to change so. in yeah. the face of new evidence. We're we 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 have learned more in the last I think I told James we've learned more in the past fifty years in Um, than we've learned in the previous 2000. And we have to be willing to look at new evidence uh, objectively. And if it contradicts our current beliefs, then we have to change our beliefs. Yeah. Seems like the gray area is a good place to be. (laughs) It it is. There's nothing wrong with saying, I don't know. There's nothing wrong with saying I was wrong. There is absolutely everything wrong with Holding on to a belief in the face of all contradictory evidence simply because you don't want to violate your current belief system.
1: It's funny about that, as I as I do get it. You know, you want to hold on to belief because there's like this. Uh, have you ever heard of resistance is the way? You know, it's kind of like this uh, this thing where where you're facing against all these odds. You know that you do get this sense of righteousness, like when you're holding on to an idea. You know, it's just unfortunate for the times when some people are holding on to ideas that they're saving a bunch of kids from a pizza shop, but they're really just murdering innocent people. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, that that's the thing that, you know, uh, we see as a problem and we'd like to correct. But also, we can't focus on that too much because what about focusing our energies on
0: encouraging the stuff that is
1: going correctly, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, shoot, what do you do? One of the topics to touch upon, and we'll get into a lot more detail, there's uh, a few others in the list. LGBT rights, uh, mm-hmm. which I'm, I'm kind of big on, but there are a lot of gray areas in there. Um, the Electoral College uh, that we have today, you know does that need to go? Healthcare, um, Israel and Palestine, Antifa, BLM, and the alt-right. So the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers on one side, Antifa, BLM on the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, one that I've... Quite interested in, uh, and I I want to talk to you know some more of my history professors and just uh, in social psychology network is on secession. Okay. So when I when I get into secession, it's so personally I have a underlying I I won't even say it's a it's a core belief, but I have an underlying subject subjective belief. you know, and I'm being you know just for full disclosure, it's not completely objective. It's it's subjective that I think the United States made two big mistakes uh, in its history. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one being in 1787, seven in 1787, when we were drafting the Constitution and we made compromises on human rights, um, primarily African Americans and slavery, where mm-hmm the Northern states who had originally, and even Madison and even Jefferson, um, who Jefferson was a slave owner, were, would have been in favor or leaning towards resolving the slave issue, Mm -hmm. uh, what they had at the time, um, made a compromise with the Southern states on, we, we as a country would not ban slavery within the U.S. Constitution Slaves were counted as three-fifths yes, I remember of this. a human. Three-fifths of a human. Uh, with with regards to population so that the southern states could still get the the southern states wanted the entire slave population to be counted as part of their population when used to determine the number of legislatures, legislators that they had in Congress in the House of Representatives. Um, Northern states were initially uh, opposed to that and came up with the compromise, the Three-Fest Compromise, which for me is still horrific. And it's one of our uh, em- embarrassing uh, parts of, of the United States history. And, you know, they paid a little bit more taxes uh, for for the slave population. But there was, there was you know, abolition was rejected and there was no ban on slavery. Yeah, you know, for me that was a shame. I would have preferred to say, if you don't like it, fine. You don't have to be part of the union. The union will be much smaller. It'll be with the you know the northern states that are willing to outlaw slavery, and you go your own way. And we'll see if maybe ten years, twenty years, thirty years down the line, we can reach an agreement and you can join the union. Um, that that wasn't done. And basically what they did is they passed the issue of slavery onto posterity. It was their kids' and their grandchildren's responsibility to fix it. Oh, wow. So um, that was 1887. So 73 years later, 74 years later, we have a civil war. And I would say 700,000 Americans died uh, roughly in the civil war, um, but I won't do that. I'll say around 300,000 Americans died and around 400,000 insurrectionists Uh, from the southern states uh, died in that war war when they rebelled. Now, a lot of the southern uh, states would tell you, or a lot of the people that I know today that will still fly uh, the Confederate flag and probably still have racial tendencies or racist tendencies, will tell you that the Civil War was about states' rights, not slavery. States' rights, I'm sorry, states' rights is a euphemism for um, keep your hands off our slaves. And when when the Southern states uh, began seceding, actually, and it wasn't all under Lincoln. I believe South Carolina was the first uh, state, it could have been North Carolina, but I think it was South Carolina was the first Southern state to secede. It had done so under uh, James Buchanan, um, who was Lincoln's predecessor. And then when Lincoln took over, obviously the rest of the states, uh, the rest of the Confederate states joined suit and left the Union. I think Lincoln was absolutely obsessed with keeping the union intact. Good for him. I mean, we're the United States. But based on that ideology, I would have done the same thing again on, fine, go your own way. Mm -hmm. um, See how you live on an agricultural-based country only, Mm -hmm. um, while the northern states and the free states had all the industrial power and had the power to create uh, much stronger trade negotiations for their agricultural needs. And to let the southern states secede and not engage in a civil war and uh, go from there. And in fact, it's carried on even longer because that was, what did that, What did I say? It was 73 years. So, you know, five years later, four years later, the civil War's over in, in April of 1865. The northern states win. They shove um, the Reconstruction Act's. Down the throats of the Southern states, including the 14th Amendment, which um, was due process uh, under the law and equal rights for all people. Southern states were opposed to that, but they were not going to be able to get representatives back in Congress unless they ratified. So the states ratified. And you had decades and decades of ongoing resistance and uh, racial policies and Jim Crow laws in the Southern states. Um, because it was a bittersweet pill that they had. It wasn't a bittersweet. It was a bitter pill that they had to swallow uh, in order to, you know, be forced back into the union. They didn't want to be part of the union. Why force them to be part of the union? Mm -hmm. You know, let them go their own way. And even today, um, you know, I have um, maps. I think I may have shown you at one time. I, I still have maps on my computer that show the Electoral College votes for the Southern states. Oh, yeah. You know, and they voted Democrat, Um, All the way up until, I think it was 48, when most of the Democrats, the Southern Democrats, were still very racist. But uh, the Northern Democrats started to align, or were very much um, aligned with civil liberties and the drive for equal rights and the Southern Democrats rebelled against that. And they didn't vote for Truman in 48. They, for the first time, they didn't uh, vote Democrat. They voted for Strom Thurmond in 1948, who was very much into segregation. He was a racist prick. And they pretty much um, at that point started to vote Republican. And the only times there's there's been shifts, uh, some of the Southern states voted when, you know, Jimmy Carter uh, ran for president. In uh, in '76, they voted for Carter because he was a Southern guy. Arkansas voted for Clinton when he ran for president because mm-hmm. he was an Arkansas guy, yeah. and so did uh, I think Louisiana uh, at the time. You know, but you know the Dixiecrats under Strom Thurmond eventually migrated into the Republican Party, and yeah, we we still see this today. You, I mean, where where do you see most of the Trump supporters uh, coming from? And the the Proud Boys and the Oath oh, Keepers yeah. and you see them in a lot of the Southeast part of the United States and they, they, you know, after Biden was elected and don't get me wrong, I'm not a fan of Joe Biden. I don't like either party, but we have this cancer and our, of, of racism and, and, and hatred as you mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. just the hatred that seems to swell from the Southeastern part of the United States. And, you know, I grew up in this part of the country, mm-hmm. and you know, i I'm in live in Texas now, and I love Texas, and we have the struggle in Texas. Although Texas is rapidly becoming a purple state, it's mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's far less red than it used to be. So, you know, we're seeing we're seeing a shift here. Ironically, most of that shift is coming from immigration and, and increase in education levels mm-hmm. uh, in the state of Texas, but. <laughs> we're almost at a point where wouldn't a divorce be the best solution? <laughs> Cause we haven't been, you know, this has been an unhappy marriage for well over a hundred and well, you know, over 140 years now. And yeah, you know, if you want to be racist bastards, you know, I wish I could create a somewhat harmonious continent off the coast of, I don't fucking know, um, you know, South America, <laughs> you know, where, and we had the money and you guys could all migrate down there and create your own, you know, racist goddamn country and vote for whoever you want to be, you know, dictator or, you know, El Presidente. I don't I don't know. But, you know, is that is are we at a point to where and I, I don't know, I don't think we are. I And I have reasons that I'll get to the episode. I, do, I don't think it's, you know, that straightforward, or it's something that we should even uh, consider today. But there are people out there who think, maybe it's time for just some of these states. Um, you listen to some of the shit that spews forth from Rick DeSantis's mouth in Florida and things. It's like <laughs> you're you're as far from patriotic as possible. Hmm. Um, you're Ted Cruz, who, you know, despised Donald Trump, say, so, yeah, had some of the most horrific things to say about Donald Trump when Trump was running for president. And he was campaigning against him, and then the minute that Trump gets the nomination, you know, Cruz's tongue goes straight up his ass. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, maybe you people need to be elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And and... well, yeah, and mm, but where do we go?
1: You know, all the land is used up.
0: Well, and it's unlike the Civil War, where a lot of things in the South were, you know, it was you, you had nice, clean geograph- geographical boundaries between slave states and free states, and you don't have that today. There's there's a lot of blue yeah, all, in the red states, and a lot of red in the blue states. It's and all emulsified. And it is you know, very much mixed so. Up. <laughs> you know, how would that work? But I do want to talk about that at some point, and, you know, we'll get into it. And, you know, the voting laws that have been going into effect, and you know the right to privacy. A big one is abortion. Mm, mm-hmm. You know abortion rights. Yeah, you know, I had COVID mandates on my list, but I think it might be a little bit dated where we're at today. But we'll see. Sure. Yeah. Um, immigration, animal rights. Uh, you know, partisanship in America, which we just kind of touched upon. It's you know one of the things. I, I had actually had Donald Trump on my list, but you you brought it up in one of our earlier conversations. That probably not a big area of interest to you because you don't want to give him the power it's true um we'll see where the conversation goes (laughs) but um but that's that's some of the topics now you know again one of the things that we desperately want from our from our fan base we really do want our fan base to reach out to us and contact us we like feedback but we want to we want to get a lot of questions and uh, you know, we want to have a lot of content and get to the or a lot of content and episodes where we just you know simply address fan questions and yeah you know to the best that we can. So please you know just to reiterate if if you've gotten through our, our blah blah this far, um, you can again you can reach us directly at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com. That's irrational i r r a t i o n a l discourse.com. Um, Or you can go to our website, uh, www.rationaldiscourse.com. Just click on the Contact Us page, uh, and it'll come directly to Chris and I. And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, We will collect as many questions as possible and cover them as best we can uh, in the Q&A episodes that are coming up. Yes, we will. So outside of that, anything uh, anything you'd like to add or that Gosh. I didn't cover or that I completely botched? Because I haven't listened to the audio yet, and no, I always I cringe <laughs> when I'm editing our audio. It's like, damn it, that's not what I meant to say. Oh, I know what you mean. Yeah.
1: Um, mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I don't know. I don't know, but I hear the dog stirring. I hear the girl yeah, stirring. I saw I Mama think...
1: Tina. She came and waved at us. All right. Yeah. So I think, I think.
0: <laughs> and we've been going. Uh, yeah, I, I told everyone. I said this was going to be like a 45-minute episode. <laughs> we're, we're, we're two hours and 27 <laughs> minutes into it. We'll, we'll probably knock off 20 minutes of that with our uh, our pregnant pauses. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should probably re-engage with the real world. All right, let's do it. All right. Love you, man. Love you, too. All right. Fist bump. <laughs> Boom. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you you for listening to this episode of the Irrational Discourse podcast. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes, you can send us an email at debate at irrationaldiscourse.com or you can contact us directly through our website at www.irrationaldiscourse.com. Please include your name and location if you'd like a shout out for your contribution. We only ask for and strive to give in return a little love, acceptance, and mutual respect.